Welcome back to the True Jody podcast. Today's guest is Mohammed Hijab and Ali Dawa, who is just, we're waiting on him, but he'll be here. He's on the way. Uh, thanks for coming, bro. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's funny, um, I've been a re recommended a lot of people to talk to, and your name was right at the very top of the list. Um, Naturally. Naturally. No, no, tr <laughs> truth be told, because um, and when I watch your videos, I was like, okay. I get this because mm. uh, I like your style. You just had Jordan Peterson on. Uh, you ask good questions. You talk about a lot of the same topics as me, but you come at it from obviously a different angle. Mm -hmm. And with everything I've been through lately, uh, having someone like yourself on, I really appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much. So, elephant in the room. Yeah. How was it for you viewing the situation and having you are one of the, uh, the leaders in the Muslim community? How did you feel that that went down? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, like, um, I was uh, sent the video where you uh, and Lawrence were speaking and mm. stuff like that. And obviously, it was very distasteful. I think you've obviously come to that realization. Mm. Um, not least because it's just one of those stereotypes that people have just, uh, Muslim community have had to learn to live with for so long. And it does have an impact on their practical lives. Mm -hmm. But more so, I think a lot of what the frustration the Muslim community is uh, about is that if it were other communities, uh, the, the ramifications may have been much worse. So, for example, we believe that, for instance, when it comes to uh, kind of protected characteristics, because in this country you've got the Equalities Act, say, for example, right? Okay. So, um, one of those is like religion, yeah? One of the nine, I think, protected uh, characteristics uh, that Muslims sometimes get the short end of the straw. Uh, and so, for instance, uh, if I were to make a joke about uh, the Jewish community, for example, uh, about the Holocaust and stuff like that, there would be almost no guarantee of no second chance. Now, what I'm saying is that this opens up a question about the extent to which freedom of speech should be operational in society. Um, I think the UK has its own boundaries because we've got hate speech laws here, for example. In America, it's, I think, a little bit more wide in, in so much as it's more difficult to, to sue someone for defamation of character or libel. Mm. Um, and they take you know, the, the constitutional rights, I think, more, if you want to put it this way, ideologically uh, kind of um, as an imperative for themselves, um, culturally. But still yet, I, uh, the main criticism that would probably be put forward is there's an inconsistency in the way that um, certain things are being uh, operationalized in the United Kingdom. So, for example, if I were to speak about certain groups, that there would be more of a backlash than other groups, as I just mentioned. So, I think that's where a lot of the frustration is. Is um, I think it's important to have clear guidelines, for example, in a country where you say these are the limits of freedom of speech. If there are any limits, of course, that's where the discussion should be. Should there be limits? To what extent should there be limits of freedom of speech? And once you've understood that, okay, these are limits of freedom of speech, then what are the consequences of someone uh, doing X, Y, Z, or going against this protected, uh, or these people with protected, protected characteristics? So I think that's where the frustration is. For example, to put it in a nutshell, people will say that if this was said about these groups of people, uh, this person would have been deplatformed. So uh, that kind of thing. Okay, I mean... There's a lot to unpack there, mm -hmm. but I definitely felt some of what you said, even from experiencing it, uh, you know, as the as the person who said the wrong thing, mm. and um, it it felt like I'm I'm going to try and make sense of it in my own way, and hopefully I don't butcher this, but 
you know, for example, sometimes you've had a really hard day at work and mm -hmm. it's long and you're fucking miserable and you just wish, mm -hmm. uh, you know, oh, can't be arsed with this. The boss said something to me, I'm really fed up. And then you go home and maybe your other half says something that's almost like the tipping point. Um, and you lash out at that person because they've upset you or hurt you, but, but it's not just about that. It's about everything else. And, and kind of what you've just said is, for me, on the receiving end of or a lot of the anger that I've caused, I did feel like, I feel like there's a lot more to this. There's a lot of deeper issues here. And, it, and obviously I've made the mistake, and I'm very sorry for that, and I want you to know that, but also I, I can feel that the, the Muslim people who've reached out to me and, and a lot of the sincerity that they have done, they're fed up and they're sick of feeling like we don't matter. It, it seems that way, or not as matter as much as, as you've said, other people would be protected or, or, or um, defended. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think the issue is, is bigger than, than any personality, for example, yourself or me or something. What I'm trying to get at here is that, say for example, there's, there's two aspects of freedom of speech, right? There's the legalistic aspect, and then you can say there's an the institutional aspect, okay? Mm -hmm. So there are the laws. There's the Freedom of Speech Act, for example, right? Which allows you to say th certain things so long as it's not um, hate speech, incitement to violence mm -hmm. or whatever. And then you have major institutions uh, or uh, organizations, companies like YouTube, for example, which we're both on, mm -hmm. yeah, who have like community guidelines. Mm -hmm. And they say, I'm sure you're aware, like if you if you speak about a minority group or any particular group mm -hmm. and you have hate speech, then you know you get a community strike, for example. Mm -hmm. You see, mm -hmm. so the, the point is you've got two aspects of freedom of speech. One of them is a legalistic one. Another one is a um, you can call it a company or institutional one or whatever it is. Obviously, there's one layer of problem. The first layer of problem is that with the institutional one, like for example, YouTube and so on, there is no, they're not elected. So obviously the YouTube elites, the whoever's making decisions on behalf of YouTube are not elected. So there's a democratic aspect here, which is how is it the case that something as big as YouTube institutionally who have as much power to enact freedom of expression and speech are not elected and they could have more power and sway than say a government would. So that's the first aspect. Secondly, the fear is, and this is why I'm saying it's a bigger issue than just me and you. Of course. Is the fear is if they are unelected and they are acting arbitrarily in regards to um, community guidelines and cancellation and these kinds of things, if they act arbitrarily, for example, so as to um, de-platform say person X, Andrew Tate, whoever it may be, completely remove him from the platform, yeah? Mm -hmm. And not do so with person Y, okay? The question is, um, how, how are we meant to feel safe on this platform? Because if the, if, the, if the guidelines are not very clearly identifiable, how are we meant to, so I can say something one day uh, about person X or person Y or people X or people Y, which the YouTube elites will, will define as uh, hate speech. And then they can remove me from the platform. Um, I, th I think this is really problematic because number one, they don't have a mandate. They don't have legitimacy from that perspective, democratic legitimacy. Number two, even if they did have a mandate, they are not um, operating on a consistent basis with all, with all parties. Well, I, I don't know whether they are consistent or they're not, but I, mm. obviously I would assume they're not because they're run by people and people are flawed. Yeah. And when you say, obviously they're not elected, obviously it's a company, they run it, and, and mm. for that reason they mm. won't be elected. Uh, one thing I do think that there are differences in, and this isn't me defending myself. Yeah, of course. Because there's nothing to defend. I've, yeah. You know, I'm, I was wrong. End of story. But I think in some cases, I think the reason there are differences in how people are dealt with is 
previous character intent, whether or not people meant what they said in the way that it has been um, absorbed. Because sometimes, and this isn't, again, me talking about me personally, I'm talking generally, uh, what someone might say, how we interpret that is often dependent on our previous life experiences. So for example, to use my example, if we're going to go there, some people might look at me and have their own preconceptions and say, well, it doesn't matter whether he intended to hurt us or not. It, 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 what, what, what matters is, is he said it and this is how it's making me feel. Um, how do you think, um, and this might not be nice for me to hear, but I think it's important to have the conversation. How do you think it made just a, uh, an ordinary Muslim feel when... A, when the comment made in the way it was, was said? To be honest with you, I mean, I, I think that obviously it, it came across, people were angry, right? Because this is the kind of stereotype that we don't want to, we don't want to be associated with. I mean, all the, if, for example, if we look at it on a statistical basis, those Muslims who uh, support that, this kind of terrorism, like there have been polls that have been done, for example, Pew Research have, mm -hmm. have done polls and seen how many people support terrorism and so on. It's negligible. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's a negligible amount. The overwhelming proportion of Muslims obviously don't have uh, those views about suicide bombing or about killing or about whatever. And so to continually being associated with that will, will, will make people angry. But as I say, I think there's a secondary issue. And, and, and I don't want to keep mentioning the point, but the secondary issue is it makes people upset and resentful and angry, including myself, that, and this is not really about you in a sense. No, I know, mate. It's, it's about how the, how the system is operating. That on the one hand, if I, if I say certain things, mm -hmm. even if I say certain things about the state of Israel, for example, Okay, I, I believe that the state of Israel is operating on an immoral and unethical basis, for example. Yeah, but if I go further than this and say and talk about the legitimacy of the state of Israel, I could be accused of anti-Semitism, and if I'm accused of anti-Semitism strongly enough, then I could be deplatformed, just like certain people were deplatformed recently. The point is, is that when people see that the the system is not being consistent, or there is not consistent application of cancellation. Okay, if you want to put it that way, or removal, or then people get more angry. So the point is, is I feel that we should, we have to have a stance as to uh, the extent to which we can offend people. Okay, so if if our stance is, you know, the problem with that though yeah. is is who who defines what what is offensive, and that and that each own individual mm -hmm. is kind of based on what you feel and think and what your life experiences. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. as you've rightly pointed out. Mm -hmm. That's up to the platform. That's what I mean. The so, person who runs for, the platform. For example, like um, there's, there have been people like Andrew Tate and others that have been deplatformed, mm. completely removed from the platform. Me as a Muslim person who speaks on behalf of Islam mm. or speaks on behalf of the Muslim community or speaks on behalf of myself or has Islamic sentiments, mm. I'll be honest, I'm anxious that one day someone's going to come from the elites in the YouTube and say, you know what, this guy's gone too far in terms of anti-normative ethics, he's gone too far. Well, you've been accused a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. With no, the, but they uh, haven't removed me. With the, with the, you had a, an issue with, um, it, well, you made a comment about a, a small amount of people who was, uh, were they Sikh? Oh, Hindu, the Hindu. Sorry, Hindu my, my bad, sorry, yeah. Hindu. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that'll, that'll go down well. Um, but the point is, is I was, I was watching one of your videos yeah. where you who criticised a small, violent minority yeah. of Hindu uh, yeah. people um, what were they called again that you said? Hindutva. Sorry, my, yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm going to butcher a lot of things in this podcast, no, no but problem. I'm trying. And I, I felt 
it was interesting watching you in a situation where you were going, well, I was talking about these people, a yeah. minority yeah, and yeah. a big group of people, and people were misrepresenting what you'd said. Exactly. And and it can happen to anyone. So, for example, if you, in this podcast you start speaking badly, as I would as well, about ISIS or some Al-Qaeda or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, some organization which is, uh, uh, does that, the Hindutva and the RSS, mm -hmm. some of its leaders, like the second leader of the RSS, which is connected to this particular thing, praised the Holocaust. And he said, we need a new Holocaust. Mm. You know, so the, well, when I come out against these people and it's conflated with anti-Hinduism, I'm saying, um, you know, this is anti-Hindutva, I'm against the Hindutva. And they say, this is, you're attacking Hinduism. Uh -huh. This is a clear example of, okay, so you're maligning me, what's the next step? You're going to deplatform me now. And so... People were deliberately misinterpreting you, though. Yes, yes. And, and, and that, that is also where cancellation mm. can also be used as a weapon. Yeah. Where, look, I, when I look at my, what people were saying about me, I, I felt like they were the genuine people I'd hurt and, and, and sincerely um, were being really forthcoming and, and, and there were people who were non-Muslim who had also hurt and upset who were disappointed in me but there also there are the more the cynical people out there who who maybe just love to like I watched uh, have you ever seen Monty Python's Life of Brian by yeah. any chance right well, it's a religious uh, mm. comedy yeah. where it pokes fun at the Bible but mm. they have these stonings where people turn up for a stoning they don't care why they're stoning the person they're stoning mm. they just love a stoning mm -hmm. and I've got no doubt in, 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 in the power you have in your community that some people would just love to take you down and when it comes to a bit like um, the stoning situation that I'm referring to Everyone ends up getting cancelled because all of so. So yeah, well, when, when, I, when I see that with you, I get I get anxious. Mm. When I when I see even I'm not sure if Twitch removed you. Did they? I got a suspension. Yeah. So that actually makes me a bit anxious mm. because I think to myself, who's making these decisions? Mm. I'll be honest with you, because if you can get suspended or cancelled or something on these basis, then what we're saying is a lot more anti-normative. If that makes sense. The other thing is that, um, for example with the removal, I keep mentioning this, but of Andrew Tate from the platform, it's, that, that for me was a red flag. It really was a red flag. Because there's, there's people in the community, like the Muslim community, who have seen these uh, so-called ex-Muslims, some anti-Muslims, who claim to be ex-Muslims, right? Who have burnt the Quran, eaten it, spat it out, and these kinds of things, and uh, offended Muslims, uh, made fun of them, and they're still on the platform. So the question is, who gets to choose? Who's making these decisions? And the arbitrary nature of cancellation, this is, I think, the, one of the biggest problems of, of the cancellation. Do you not think, though, that cancellation, it, it, a lot of it is, is down to the level of interest? So, for example, if I had 100,000 subscribers yeah. and I made the same joke, that, or same comment that I made, yeah. rather, yeah. people would not care as much. I think so. And, yeah. and, and I'm sure the guy who you're referring to, who did what he did to the Quran, yeah. if he had 2 million subscribers... Good point. It would be different. But then that's another point. So uh, the, I think you're absolutely right yeah. here. Why do we need to have all those subscribers Th this to, to good make point. a difference? Exactly. Yeah. And this is another aspect which is not clearly defined by either the community guidelines or anything uh, resembling uh, terms of use for freedom of speech. So in other words, why is it that there's uh, intentional discrimination against people with more subscribers and less? Mm. And where's the threshold? This is not, it's not, Can I ask your opinion? Yeah. Because you're obviously making some very 
good points here about inconsistency. Yes. But what I'm more interested in is your personal opinion yep. in terms of, would you rather it be more freedom of speech, more open, more allowance for people to say and do whatever they want, or would you rather more restrictions? I'll be honest with you, you know, it does, for us as, as, as Muslim people, right, the moment it becomes restrictive, especially when what we're saying is anti-normative from, uh, from the ethical standpoint. When I say that, what, what I mean is that we're, we're living in a world which is the dominant ethic is a liberal one with a small L, well, right? Because YouTube is left-leaning, left right? No, I don't mean left with a, a liberal with a big L. I mean with a small L, meaning it's the philosophical liberalism, the idea that you can, for example, um, the individual is central, you can do whatever you want so long as you don't harm anybody else. Um, almost all Western governments are liberal, okay. every single one of them, right? So the United Kingdom, <laughs> France, uh, Germany, all of them, you know, United States of America. So because the dominant ethic is liberal with a small L, um, and what we're saying is, a lot of it is anti-liberal, anti-feminist, for example, second-wave feminism, is anti-whatever, it's fill in the blanks. If I were to say to you, we want more restrictions, this will be shooting ourselves in the foot. And nor would we want that for ourselves or other people. But what we're saying is, whatever policies that you have, the, the, as in legalistic policies or policies of, uh, of use, that they should be c consistent. So whatever, whatever you're applying to me or to you, they should apply to the person that has one subscriber or the person who has uh, a million subscribers or the other person who's a Muslim who's speaking about Jews or Jews speaking about Muslims. There has to be consistency. And I think that if, if YouTube starts doing this kind of behavior where they're removing people where they're, or Twitch or whoever else, it's got to make uh, people like me and you, I'm sure, very anxious about even using the platform. I, I, I hear you. And I... As, as much as I'm not really familiar with how much they deplatform people, yeah. obviously, I'm, I'm, I don't talk about the guy you mentioned because I've had enough of that. Yeah. But at it, 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 the same time, it's a case. It's a case study. Example. It's a case study, but it's a very specific one that you've that you've used, and, yeah. and it's not really. And there's, there's another guy called Sneeko, I think, has been removed as okay, well. Okay, well, I don't know about that guy, but yeah. but what I was. If you're a repeat offender with a massive audience, I, I see why YouTube would be getting oh, a little hot under the collar. This might fuck our money up here. Mm -hmm. Let, and, and that may be some cynical reasons as to why he was removed. And I no, but, but, but with that though, bro, let, mm. let's, let's be completely honest, right? If that's the case, mm. like in your situation, in a, in a sense, like you came out doing an apology and stuff like that. And I think there's many people in the Muslim community are very forgiving, very merciful. And we don't consider you as an enemy of Islam. Like we don't consider you as like... Thank you very much, by the way. No, no, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's, honestly, it's, you've made some jokes and you've apologized for them. There has to be a level of forgiveness and forbearance. That means a lot. Thank so you. Th I, that's something I would put to the Muslim community. Like we have to be merciful, you know, as our prophet was merciful and our religion is a merciful religion. We have to be merciful with everyone. But what I'm saying is that we have to also be consistent. So in a sense... He's a repeat offender, but once again, the question is, yeah, what terms of use, I want to know as a, as a user of YouTube myself, what mm. terms of use did he violate? Because if he violated a very specific term of use, and then he violated three times as, as per the community guidelines, mm. and then there was a, uh, a clear process that was followed, and then after that there was a decision to, uh, to remove him, then I would feel a bit more comfortable, confident in the process. What I'm saying is that, there wasn't that process. From what I understand, he wasn't even given one community uh, strike. It wasn't. It didn't go from zero to. Well, it, the reason why that. Yeah. Look, yeah. I'm, I'm very much hands off with this whole situation yeah. now. Yeah. I've. Uh, but do you see, do you see where I'm coming I've, from? I've moved beyond this silly little beef that I had with him, and I, I don't care. Yeah. But but there was a, a basically a, a movement. 
yeah. from people who felt that comments were made were abhorrent and were completely um, against women and other things. And I don't want to. I don't want to go into it because no, okay. I'm not saying that I believe any of that or agree. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get involved. But but it, for me, as we said earlier, when the people demand things on a level that they did. And I can only remember one Instagram post that had like God knows how many likes, like millions. Okay. And millions of people were like, this must end now. And uh, just to move on. No, no, but finish this point because it's important. Yeah. This is the point. I, and I do, I do yep. feel like YouTube were, and other platforms yep. were... Were they were they bullied into doing that? I don't know what they. But if there's one thing that I can um, empathise with this guy on mm -hmm. yeah. in the last week is yeah. companies bow to pressure. They may not necessarily believe what they are doing is right themselves, but if it costs them their bottom line, they will do what they have to to save themselves. Now, but here's the thing. It, it's, I know it's a, it's a private company. There's two issues here, and I, I want to repeat them. Right. I, and I apologize for having to repeat that, but so, it's, it's important for me. The first issue is this. Freedom of speech is a concept, okay? Who, is, who are its upholders? So you have governments, as we've said, right? Governments are its upholders from a legalistic perspective. But then you have institutions as well. Now, YouTube is the first or the second most ranked website, according to, I think it was Elixir before, I'm not sure who does it now, ranking website, right? It's... It probably has more of 196 countries in the world. It probably has more power to uphold freedom of speech and expression than the vast majority of uh, governments in the world. Okay, it has vast power in being able to uphold freedom of speech and expression. Number one, the first issue is for those who believe in liberal democracies and so on, they are unelected. This is an issue. I mean, because they're, they're elites, they have major power, but they're not elected, and they have power to enact a concept which is ideological and which a state is premised on. The second issue is this, is that now, when it, you say it's a repeat offender, right, for example. However, the issue is this, is that when there is no clear guidelines, let's say, for example, there was pressure from the community, it doesn't say in the YouTube community guidelines, nor does it say in the Instagram community guidelines, that if a thousand, a million, or a hundred million people come together and sign a petition, okay, that said person can be removed from the platform. Okay. You see, so if they had that in the, for example, if that was a clause that they had in the community guidelines, then fine. Then uh, whoever's, whoever's agreeing to that, that's consensual to that. The only issue is we're debating something where... Yeah. You're saying we have no basis on what he did or how he did it or whatever, but like, I'm sure there are people screaming at the, the computer screen now watching this saying, well, he did this and he did this and he did this and, and mm. let's not act like this guy was Snow White and you know what I mean? He whatever, he, whatever he did, but the point is, is Voltaire said it himself, mm. you know, a very you know, famous liberal philosopher. He said that, I'm paraphrasing, but he said that freedom of speech is when you, when you, uh, when you allow your, even your, the, the, the person you hate the most or... To, to say what they want and, to say. And, and I do support that. Yeah. I, I, you know, as much as me and this guy are never going to be friends, yeah. I do respect the right of freedom of speech. The problem is, is um, YouTube is a company that wants to make money and that's their goal. Their yeah. goal, they don't give a shit about freedom of speech. They don't give a shit about what me and you think. They mm. want to make money. No, I get that, but this is important for both of us mm. because if, if people like me and you, who's a lot of their livelihood is actually based on YouTube, like our livelihoods. Oh, I'd prefer it the way you're saying. Yes. I'd want it to be the Wild West, to be honest with you. <laughs> the less I have to censor myself, the more money I make. Mm. Ever since YouTube started coming down on swearing, every penny has changed. 
You know, like little yeah. things like that. Like the minute you drop an f bomb, like yeah. my mates are bleeping out words in their videos, and even that is to me ridiculous. And YouTube allows pornography, right? It's pornography. It doesn't. It doesn't. But um, you can log in and watch pornography on it. No, you can't actually. Okay. And I think that that's what what they are gradually becoming more and more and more censored. Okay. As as the years go by, if you look at it 15 years ago and now, it's completely different. And moreover, like you know, we're living in. Um, uh, well, I live in London, right? In, in the city of London. And a lot of these, uh, there's called, they're called drill artists. Mm. Yeah. Grime, it used to be called grime back in the mm. days. Apparently it's called drill. Now, now they're, they're, they're literally threatening other people from a, a other postcode and saying, I'm going to do this and that. And sometimes it actually happens. So the point is, is once again, it goes back to this arbitrariness of like, Inconsistency, but yeah, I don't want to dwell Can we on. We talk about part. cancel culture just generally, though. Yeah, like, yeah. Beyond YouTube, yeah. Um, it is a really interesting phenomenon when you have, like, take my video for example. Yeah. Uh, however, one point odd million views, or th tens of thousands of comments, all these messages. Um, what is what is your take on that? Because I'm sure you've kind okay. of had people target you before. Yeah, of course. I have it all the time. I'm probably one of the most targeted persons in the UK. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> um, bro, look, I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I always like somebody... It's, it takes a, a big man to humble himself, right? And the fact that you did that, you know, is definitely something... I, I consider it to be praiseworthy. The fact that you're having this conversation with me now is praiseworthy. I think this is... I, I can't see how the Muslim community or any other community can see this in any other way as, uh, than as a positive thing, okay? That, you, that you're doing this and you're, you're making... Uh, an effort as a, one of the probably the most vocal persons and maybe one of the most influential persons in the U United Kingdom to, uh, to outreach to one of the biggest communities now in the, in the United Kingdom, which is the Muslim community. Mm. But what I'll say is, I think that if someone comes forward and wants to learn about Islam, for mm. example, about Muslim people, that will be the, the ultimate kind of test for their, for their genuinity and authenticity in this regard. So for example, the fact that you're having me now, and we're going to speak about probably Islamic themes and what is Islam and how do Muslims connect with it and some of the gender issues that you know, may make us anti-normative to a lot of people and mm. how do we kind of square the circle and so on. Um, these kinds of things where you're, where you're genuinely trying to make an effort to understand, I think that, that goes way further in the Muslim community because people say, okay, this guy's actually trying to make an effort here. Yeah, and um, you know, without feeling sorry for myself or anything, um, some of the things that have been uh, accused of me in the last week have been pretty heartbreaking. You know, because yeah. I do have close friends who are Muslim, yeah. and um, yeah, it, it's been a it's been eye opening. Me, people call me racist. People call me a lot of different things, and uh, and I get it, it if you, especially if you don't know me, that clip it looks fucking terrible. Um, but I think the more, I hope the more people get to know me who haven't previously known me, they will see what's, what's in here. Um, I was wondering specifically, when you're in Islam and you make a mistake, any mistake, whether it could be my mistake or a mistake of an equivalent, what does the Quran teach you as a way of making amends and showing that you are, um, I guess, Sorry, and you know, want to be better. So, if if a uh, this this question is, we need to unpack it a little bit. So, for, for sure. example, as um, say, for example, if a non-Muslim okay becomes a Muslim, so in a sense, we would consider them to be um, 
on the wrong path, for example, if they were non-Muslims. Maybe not intentionally, maybe because of society, whatever it may be. But we believe Islam is a true path. And I'll explain why that is in a second. But um, let's say, for example, you've got a non-Muslim who becomes a Muslim. So we believe that that individual has a, a clean slate now. Um, and this is uh, mentioned in the Quran, in chapter 25 of the Quran. Except for the ones who, uh, you know, repent and believe and they do good works, that God will transform all of their bad deeds into good deeds, in fact. So that's one category of people. So converts to Islam are the most honored in that sense because they have, you know, a clean slate. So anything they had done in the past had been completely eradicated and clean, cleaned up. Is that no matter... Because I, I kind No matter what they've done. What if I'd like shot a school up and killed a load of kids? Yeah, even that. Wow. Yeah, anything. Any, any particular thing that you've done, the religion of Islam says, whatever your past is, mm. God is merciful and forgiving and that he will forgive anything that you have done. Within Islam, the thing that wipes away your sins is repentance. And repentance is just going back to God and asking him for forgiveness. So we always believe there's a second chance. There's no uh, individual whose threshold has been met, that critical mass has been reached, that there is no... Um, there's no, there is no second chance for them. We believe every human being has a second chance. At the end of your videos, you, or beginning or end, you talk about uh, the charity work that you do. Yeah. And you talk about if you do this, you'll, you'll be looked upon favorably by God and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it made me wonder, like, uh, if that is, I don't know, a big part of the psychology right. that people are yeah. signing up for. I, I think what it is is that Islam fundamentally uh, is Tawheed, which means pure monotheism. Mm. to believe there's only one God worthy of worship. Okay, mm. so we don't believe as a man, as a God, i.e. in the Christian incarnation theories, we reject that. We don't believe in the Trinity, that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe only one God who is not a man, is not a woman, is not an animal, is not um, material, is none of those things. Um, that he's the, the ultimate creator of the universe, the most knowledgeable, the most uh, powerful, and so on. And that God... He uh, is the only one worthy of worship. Now, the you speak about him and you say, "Hey, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but you said he's not a man." Yeah, is that normal to say, "Hey"? I'm not trying to pull you up. No, no, it's, it's more um, it's linguistic convention. Uh -huh. You know, is uh, that easier to digest for people? I mean, you can say uh, you can say about God that is uh, uh, it. I mean, it, it's not conventional in the translation. Okay, but if you say um, uh, is a thing. God the thing, uh -huh. for example. That's kind of how I think about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing, it's just an all-powerful thing. Mm. It's an entity which is an all-powerful thing, which um, initiated the universe, is maintaining the universe, sustains us. As without this thing, nothing else would be. Mm. Okay, so this is our idea of God. That if you remove, this is the necessary existence, if you remove this God, that nothing else could uh, instantiate in the universe and so on. This is the all-powerful one. So we say that the... The purpose of life, mm. the purpose of life is to worship God, which means to take this thing as the ultimate authority, like in terms of legislation, in terms of veneration, uh, to take this thing as the ultimate authority. So in other words, to say, there's nothing that goes above and beyond this authority to accept this. If, some, if someone accepts this, then um, th they are actualizing Mm. They, are, they are manifesting the ultimate purpose of life. Because if I ask, what is the purpose of life? To 
the say British audience, everyone's going to come with a subjective purpose. The purpose of life is for me, it's love to be loved or to whatever, whatever. I mean. But is there a purpose of life? Mm. Is there an ultimate purpose of life through all things which are living? Okay, must, I, need, I need yeah. to ask some questions. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. First off, I've always felt like that. Uh, I'm, I would say I'm agnostic, but I yeah. believe in a, a great power that yeah. is out there that created the universe, and that that does like to me just makes perfect sense to yep. be honest uh, in terms of um, you know the way you describe the the purpose of life to be uh, to worship uh, God um, a lot of what I'm understanding of the, the the Muslim religion is is that there are almost different uh, interpretations of it depending on where you are and mm. who, who raised you and all sorts of things Um has your interpretation, as you've gotten older, because I've watched your channel and I see you've evolved, like people who watch this now, they see someone who's a professional guy, but back in the day, I've seen you, uh, you remind me of myself sometimes in certain interviews and it was, it was I really enjoyed it, like me. I was, mm. but, but I can see a, a young man who's a bit cocky and, mm. and a bit arrogant and edgy and now... I'm, and I'm, still, I'm still all those things. I, I mean, <laughs> it never goes away, yeah, yeah, yeah. but... Yeah. But when I look at you with Jordan Peterson and you're very much holding your own, you're a very smart man, I see evolution and I'm wondering if that evolution in how, how you're thinking is also uh, having an impact in how you're reading the, the scriptures. I'll be honest with you, like I started YouTube when I was like 24 or 25, mm. now I'm 31. So the, the, there's age, the fact that I've got a family now, I've got three children, stuff mm -hmm. like that, you know, that's helped me mature as well. Mm. But also the fact that people have to realize when they look at Muslims, and this kind of goes back to perceptions, is that they're not just operating on the basis of reading their scriptures. So I'm an amalgamation of things. Of I'm, I'm uh, like, mm. you know, I'm a uh, Londoner, someone who's born and raised in inner city London, mm. in uh, secondary schools and so on, where people used to fight in the, um, in the classrooms outside of the classroom. So you have to kind of develop a kind of a defense mechanism for that. So a lot of that will come out in my persona, just as it would probably in yours, yeah. uh, you, in a kind of rough environment you yeah. grew up in. So, so in a sense, people need to be more mature when they're doing analysis. Because is he speaking now when he's you know, doing this or that thing in, on YouTube in the street or you know, getting confrontational? Is that as a result of his um, Islamic behavior or is that because he's born and raised in this kind of environment because he has these kinds of pathologies because he was born and raised by, born and raised, um, by a single mother uh, because he you know, has this need for validation? This psychological pathologies. Uh, Shout out to the single mothers, by the way. Yeah. Me too, mate. Me Do you know what I'm trying to say? So all of these things have an impact. So for me, personally, I feel like I've been trying to manage my own inauthenticities. Like I've been trying to be as, and this is, a, this is an Islamic practice. It's, it's called muraqaba or muhasabat nafs or self-accountability, which one of the, um, the, the caliphs of Islam or the second Caliph called Omar, he said this, he said, hold yourselves to account before you are held to account. In other words, have this self-reflective behavior. And mm -hmm. I've been doing more and more of that. I think me and you both know that being on the social media and on the public sphere, you're, you're going to get held to account anyway by the public. Fucking right. You know what I'm trying to say? You have to justify yourself, justify yourself. And it becomes ad nauseum, it becomes very you exhausting. Know, that's what I've really tried to apply to this whole situation is mm. just get my face in the camera mm. and go, Say what you got to say. I'm here to take it. I know I fucked up, and I'm sorry. You know, and and growing as a person, the more real you are with yourself, the less other people's words can ever hurt you. Because if you know every problem you've got and every mistake you've made, you're not going to have that meltdown when someone gives you the home truth one day. 
Yeah. And I think that when you are, like, everything you're saying resonates with me. There. For me, the, the, the biggest thing is purpose. I, I mentioned this to Jordan Peterson, I mentioned to you as well. It's like, I'm very fascinated with this quote by Nietzsche where he says that if you have a why, almost any how is possible. Mm. So this strong sense of purpose. Like, that, yeah. if I didn't have, like, for example, this strong meaning and purpose of life. Like, for example, for me, I believe that if anything happens to me, which is like someone abuses me, someone shouts at me, someone swears at me, someone's like, I believe that this is either reducing from my sins, it is purifying me from a spiritual perspective, it is strengthening me from a psychological perspective. So you always spin it in a manner which will have spiritual uh, benefits. So it's, it's a kind of optimist, uh, optimism, it's a religious optimism. And as, if I didn't have that, I'd find this very difficult. I, I want to ask you about that. Yeah. What, Im imagine, right, imagine you, You'd never uh, had the Quran, yeah. right? Obviously, it's a huge part of your life yeah. and your identity now. What do you think would have became of you? I, I think I would have been a very um, loose uh, individual, uh, womanizer. I think I would have been a violent guy. I think uh, you know I would have done some really uh, wild things. Maybe I would have been in prison. Because the thing is... Did, my... did you... F just to interrupt there, do you feel those... I don't know, let's say you're 20, 25 years old. Could you feel those urges and yes. then... You've got the good book on one hand that you're sort of trying to be live by, but then there's that in you, the wild man. Absolutely, and that's uh, why, like for example, um, as a man growing up, like for example, before I became, I got married at the age of twenty. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I got married at the age of twenty. Yeah. So obviously, because as Muslims, we're not allowed to have sexual intercourse before marriage. I got, the, you know, married at the age of twenty. Well, and the way you've just phrased yeah. that, I have to interrupt. Sorry, but yeah. the way you phrased that was if to say. I really needed that. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I love the honesty. Yeah, and, that, and that, I think that a lot of, I'm sure a lot of Muslim men will connect with that, but yes. you know, any religious person will understand what that's like because yes. you, we do have those urges inbuilt in us yes. and you don't want to uh, live a life that is um, against uh, what you believe in. Mm -hmm. what, was there an element when you were about to um, tie the knot with the missus and get married mm -hmm. that you were... Um, you know, in the look in my world, it's try before you buy, right? Okay, yeah. You know what I'm saying? There was but, nothing like that. But but, yeah. but was there an element of fear that oh god, I hope this is because this is it for the rest of my life? I've, we've never, you know, because uh, no, Islam look, Islam is not Catholicism in the sense that, and in Catholicism and Judaism, there are very strict laws of divorce. Like for example, in Orthodox Judaism, it's only the man that can give the divorce. It's called mm. the get, you know. And, and oh yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, and in Catholicism. I mean, some interp most interpretations nowadays will say that you know, once you've got married, that's it. In Islam, there is if you become if if you get into a marriage, then you can divorce either either or. Like a man or the woman can can uh -huh. end the relationship. So I, I never felt um, as if I would be stuck forever. Like honestly, I, I I don't have that kind of mentality. And I think if we look at the early days of the companions of the Prophet, because the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, just to give you a bit of context, so there's, so there's the Prophet Muhammad, right, who was a seventh-century figure, who we believe is the ultimate role model. Okay, mm -hmm. who believed that he was given revelation and and so on, and that he was the final prophet of a long line of prophets. And then he, and then you have his companions, who are his friends, basically, who he taught, and so on. So we look at the Prophet and we look at the companions for inspiration. And when we look at the companions for inspiration, we we look at the fact that they've a lot of them got married many times. So marriage was more laissez-faire than it is in current day Muslim communities. Mm -hmm. Now it's very difficult to get married and very difficult to get divorced. Why uh, do you think it's changed so much? A cultural, purpose, cultural reasons, and I think a lot of it is economic. Ah. It's economic, yeah, because uh, people have made, made a business out of marriage. You're fucking right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, especially, like, uh, I'm originally from Egypt. 
All right. So most people, like most men, get married at the age of thirty or thirty-five or something like that in Egypt. So in the in the meantime, you know, the the father of the of the of the girl will have to kind of offer. Up, you you have to get her a house. You have to do this. You have to do that. And so it becomes almost like it's, it's it's kind of like a business. Not not in the sense that okay, it, he's not selling his daughter or anything. But, but, but families are sort of joining in that sense. Yeah, and, it, and that's like two companies in a way. It's kind of yeah. It, yeah. Is, it is like that. And so people don't want to get swindled or whatever it means. <laughs> so so now. Because and Muslims in the West have learned to kind of, and I think it's more moving in that direction, mm. to just avoid all the red tape and just do an Islamic marriage. And the Islamic marriage is usually just you get two witnesses, two witnesses, and you and you give a dowry, mm-hmm. and then you and the and the family knows both families knows, and there's consent from the man and the woman, and the marriage is done. How much input do parents have in Muslim marriages? In in the culturally huge, it's massive. Really? Like yeah, yeah. Like especially in the subcontinent and stuff like that. I'm from the Middle East. Uh-huh. I'm from North Africa, but I mean they still have a major impact um, or influence or input and stuff like that. But in the subcontinent, I think it's even more than that because of the reasons I've just mentioned. Um, but it's, it's certainly something which requires investigation. But certainly, marriage in in those countries is not as easy uh, as in other countries. Uh, in the, in the West, therefore, when I got married at the age of twenty, I thought, okay, this is uh, I've been holding myself, you know, uh, you know, in, in that sense that I've been. There. <laughs> I love the cheeky smile. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been completely abstinent. Uh, what well, so, in terms of sexual, and, sexually? Okay, so completely. I just abstinent. want to put a yeah, not even the like man on his own type deal. To be honest with you, I, this is the first time I've said this, and I'll say it to you now. Save it for me, mate. Yeah, all right. So, but. I used to get like wet dreams two, three times a week. I'm not surprised, yeah. And it was just the body's way of cleansing itself. Mm. I used to have a diary of when the wet dream used to come. I used to be quite interested in, in it because, it, it, I, in fact, I kind of it was I kind of miss it because it was a way that I could restrict my restrictions. Always good for the human psyche, I think. It's discipline. Mm. Like I've carried this with me. That's one thing about Muslim people that I, you know, in the last yeah. week, I've done as much learning as I can, as yeah. I've said, in uh, discipline. In your culture is uh, very respected and and and, and valued, yeah. and I don't think that I have a lot of that in that sense. You know, there's a, a lot of indulgence, if I'm being honest with you, and I do respect yeah. that about you. Well, Victor Frankl says something very interesting. He said um, that when man is lost meaning, he will seek pleasure, mm. and so and once again, when you have a, a deep sense of I got a reason for doing this. I mean, the Islamic tradition, when it comes to gender relations, is there are some conservative elements. Like, for example, it's even that you're, you're trying to avoid looking... It's in the Bible, actually, in the New Testament. Mm. Uh, in the New Testament, there's a very powerful statement. I wouldn't go as far as this, but it's like, you know, if, uh, your eye will be plucked out or someone if you look at the person lustfully of the opposite gender. But we, we, we try and avoid lustful objectification of women. Okay, so when you were going through all of that, yeah. obviously you know, as much as you're a spiritual person, you're also in London, you're 20 years old. Yeah. Not only are there a lot of pretty women around, yeah. but there are pornography and there's a lot of other stuff That's going right. around. That's right. So were you just trying to block as much out of that as possible? Or yeah, but you when I got yourself... married, it just became from one extreme to another. <laughs> <laughs> Put a <her> down back. <laughs> <laughs> Leave her alone. Go. No, I, mean, no, I, I mean, I really hope uh, she's all right. Pray for her. Uh, but no, it, it, so did you avoid porn? 
Yes, 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 yes. Wow. I mean, that was that was one of the things I had to avoid. But I've I'm, seen I'm, an advert on one of your videos, yeah. and it might have been Ali's. Uh, and Ali is on the way. We promise he will be mm. here. Mm. About people struggling with porn addiction in Islam and things like that, and not just no. Men. It's a big thing. Yeah, it's a big thing in the Muslim community. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's a big thing in the Muslim community. But it's, when I say I avoided porn, I did so as much as I could. But then, obviously, be living in the West, like people will be in the in the classroom showing you things, magazines, these kind of things. It doesn't even have and, to be porn as well. It's like yeah. movies. I, it's I, everywhere. I actually stopped watching movies completely. Yeah, because I, I, I went over. very far. Like the way I did it was that you know you had um, I had social media and it was like at that particular time obviously uh, Facebook and so we weren't social media guys then like we weren't mm -hmm. doing any um, thing but when a woman would put out some stuff like you know you see how body parts and stuff it would trigger me immediately as, oh man you must have been a nightmare yeah so I had to delete it I cut it from the root it's, the, the thing is with with these kind of things you just cut it from the root so I cut it from the root I personally believe. That, that must have been difficult, like, because just, a, you know, I was a walking hard yeah. on if like 15, 16 years old. You, yeah. You're just going on the bus to school, bump, going over some speed bumps and you're like, oh. No, but to be honest with you, I started this, this discipline that I had from this, uh, from, from like, for example, sexual restriction, let's put it that way. It started to manifest itself in other parts of my life. So, for example, like I started doing my A-levels. And I wasn't necessarily like the top guy, but I thought to myself, if I'm going to be restricted in this way, I'm going to start putting the same discipline into my A-levels. Right. Now, when I was in school, they predicted like B's and C's for me. But because I started to put in the discipline, the hard work, the same kind of things that like, you know, you have to pray, you have to wake up a certain time. Like for us Muslims, we have to wake up in the early morning to pray. Mm. There's one prayer that you have to disrupt your sleep. You have to wake up, you have to wash up, you have to pray. It's a spiritual thing. I used to go to the mosque sometimes and so on. So when you, when you have that what kind of- What time is this roughly? It's, it changes per season. Okay. But it's like, for example, in the summertime, in this country, it'll be like three o'clock in the morning. Wow. And now it's like six, so it's, it's a good time now because you can just stay up after. I mean, yeah, that's a lie-in for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we pray five times a day. So that's one aspect of, um, you know, discipline, spiritual discipline. So I started saying, you know, I'm going to do my A-levels and I got A's in my A-level. All my guys were, all my teachers were shocked about it. And then I started going to university. So I'm going to apply the same principle of discipline. Started doing the same thing in university. Started doing the same thing in my postgraduates. And I, I just kept doing it. Dude, if anyone's out there, just, mate, you got to stop. Just leave women alone. Focus on your studies, guys. This is the way forward. It is. Okay, I'm not saying leave women alone, by the way. I'm thinking, the Islamic tradition, in fact, there was, a, there was a person who came to the Prophet Muhammad and he said that I'm going to abstain from women altogether. He said, that's who, he said that whoever abstains from my way is not from me. Meaning, it's the way of the Prophet to get married. Okay, it is the way of the Prophet. But when you say, when you say get married, you're, you're getting married. You're, there's rights and responsibilities involved. There are boundaries in the relationship. There's a moral guide, guidelines. There are moral guidelines. So in other words, now the relationship becomes reciprocal. There's boundaries. People are involved. Mm. It's not just, you know, you're just having sex with a woman and then okay. leaving. You know I want to wait until Ali's here because I've yeah. seen some of his opinions. Yeah. And he is, he, this guy is fascinating. And we, we want to bring him in for the relationship stuff. But I do want to uh, go back a little bit in regards to praying. Okay. Um, you prayed before we started the podcast. Yeah. What, what is, where does your mind go and what kind of things are you, if you don't mind me asking, because yeah. I know it's a personal thing, but no, no, it's, it's what, what is it yeah. like for you when you're doing that? Because I've I seen like people it. meditate before a podcast, but never pray. To be Okay, so praying, uh, the Islamic tradition says that uh, this is something you'll find Orthodox Jews do, do, doing as well. Mm -hmm. They pray throughout the day. And we believe that we are a continuation from the Jewish tradition in that sense. Not Judaism, i.e. The, the sons of uh, Isaac or Judah, mm -hmm. who is one of the sons. But it's, it's more so like, 
Abraham, Moses, all of these people did it. So if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that Moses fell on his face, quote unquote, and prayed. Mm -hmm. You'll find that in the Old Testament. So it's, it's not something new from that perspective. The second thing is the prayer goes in the following way. So we start the prayer, okay? And we do this five times a day. And we, we re read a, a chapter, which is chapter one of the Quran, which is called Surah Al-Fatiha, the opening. And it goes in the following ways. It's, a, it's very short. It goes, all praise and thanks belong to God, Lord of the worlds the most gracious, the most merciful, Lord of the day of judgment or the owner of the day of judgment. You alone we worship, you alone we ask for help. Guide us to the straight path, the path of those who you have favored, not the path of those who have earned your anger nor of those who have gone astray. So in this kind of chapter or this prayer that we say, we're asking God to guide us, okay? We're asking the all-powerful, the higher force, the genderless power, higher force, not man, not woman, uh, not, no race or anything. This is, we're talking about the creator of the universe, asking for guidance, for, uh, to be, that we're asking him for help, we're begging God. And then we go down to another position, which is the Rukua position, the bound position. And we say, Subhan Rabbi Al-Azim, or uh, that Subhan Rabbi Al-Azim means all praise or glory be to God, the most mighty. And then when we go on the floor and prostrate, we say, Subhan Rabbi Al-A'la. So the most noble aspect of our bodies, the face, is being um, put on the floor, the, the lowest part of the ground, to, to praise the most high. So mm. this is what we're doing five times a day. So we're humbling ourselves to the, the most high. We're reminding ourselves of our placement in the... Do you get a feeling when you're doing that? Because when you... I watched a Jordan Peterson yeah. and you um, said can I say it in the way I, I would normally say it? Yeah. And it sounded like quite nice to listen to, you know, yeah. almost like singing. Um, what kind of feeling does it give you when you go through that out of interest? Is there a, a Zen-like feeling? I'll, I'll tell you what it is. The Quran states, That certainly with the, with the remembrance of God do hearts find rest. So if I had to summarize it in one word, it would be tranquility. Mm. Like, I think a lot of people want to be happy. In, like, if you ask, there's a film called The Pursuit of Happiness. We all know that, right? Yeah. A lot of people just want to be happy. But I, I actually submit to you that I don't think happiness is a good prolonged state to be in. No, it's unrealistic. Yeah, and not just that. Like, if you, if you think of it from a dopaminergic perspective, if mm. you have spikes, dopamine spikes, then you're going to have crashes usually. Yeah. I mean, uh, Andrew Hoberman, I'm not sure if you... You should have him on the podcast, in fact. Yeah. He's a person who speaks about dopamine and these kinds well, of things. Well, I've been on antidepressants in, in, in mm. the last couple of years. and uh, Which ones were you on? I was on something called sertraline. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, not good for your sex life. I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I've heard, yeah. But, um, That's how I came off it, right? I mean, you know, we... You know, you, you you try, but the yeah. point is, is um, it made me realise being a pleasure seeker, being someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of self control and is indulgent, that that lifestyle I was living pre sertraline was very crazy, like a lot of you know booze and, and other things and women and and just constantly looking for that spike yep. and it's not a state of mind you can stay in for a consistent period of time happiness yep. Yep. isn't isn't where you should be aiming for it's that neutral but content exactly. Exactly. place and and that that makes a lot of sense to me what you I, in fact i think peterson has something very interesting on this where mm. he talks about it from a psychological perspective 
And, and this, so you can look at it from a biological or neurotransmitter perspective, like, mm. you know, dopamine having these spikes is you're, it's going to be followed by some kind of a crash. Mm-hmm. Usually that happens. Hoberman about, speaks about this quite often. But that's from a dopaminergic perspective or from a neurotransmitter perspective. Then you have the psychological aspect. So this, this idea of trying to seek euphoric moments, ecstatic moments, is not something either encouraged or... Um, kind of uh, seen as, 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 as the ultimate purpose from the Islamic perspective. Uh, and so one of the great scholars of Islam, his name is Ibn Qayyim, he said that the world is like a shadow. The more you walk towards it, the more it walks away from you. In other words, if you try and seek pleasure from something in and of itself, then you're, you're likely to not get pleasure from it. So from our perspective, if you have a deep sense of purpose, and for us the transcendental purpose, is, um, not a material purpose, but a, a deeper sense of spiritual purpose, which is to worship the all high, that everything revolves around that, then you get this state of tranquility. For I'm reading the Quran, for example, or doing what I call adhkar, which are the remembrance remembrance of God, saying things like, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, or Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, or whatever it may be, SubhanAllah, glory be to God, praise be to God. I actually feel myself getting relaxed. I calm down. It calms me down. In fact, when I don't do it on a daily basis, if I don't read the Quran or if I don't do these things, I actually feel more frustrated as an individual. I genuinely, this is how I feel. I feel more frustrated as an individual. It's kind of like going to the gym. Like I'm sure you know more, a lot about that. You know, it's the kind of feeling that you're going to get, like the endorphins when you've finished your workout. If you remove that from your daily schedule, your weekly schedule, imagine the kind of impact that will have on you. It's kind of like a spiritual workout in that sense. And kind of yeah. the way you're describing it, it's almost like the... the um, if I was going to relate it to YouTube, for example, is like the goal shouldn't be getting the big views. The goal should be in, enjoying creating the content and, and the work that goes into it, I guess. And that's the thing. Like For someone like myself, mm. I have to be honest with myself. The question I keep posing to myself is to what extent are you doing this for fame to what extent are you doing this for money which is less less so but to be honest for me the we big, all the have big, an ego the, the dragon is the fame for me or the dragon is the recognition the valid, valid, uh, validation I need that validation and I, I would be lying to myself if I said I'm not doing it at all that would be a lie or that I would be saying for example um, I, I don't care what people think when you look at yourself almost in the third person yeah and it's very hard to do this, obviously, but you know you've obviously became a massive success, and you're interviewing Jordan Peterson, and uh, and, and yourself now as well. Hey, mate, you're doing all right, bro. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah. you know, and I'm sure you have your detractors and your real big supporters, and then there's those people in the middle. What is the broad sense of how people think about you, in your opinion? I think it's positive. I do think so. When we talk about traditional Muslim community, I think it's positive, but it's always it's always going to be the minorities that we look at. Mm. Like, for example, if you get 80%, 90% likes and great comments, you're not, you might not pay attention to that. You may, you may pay attention to the 10% of negative comments. Yeah. And that's, that's a part of the human psyche. It's a neurotic oh, uh, aspect of the human condition. This last week is, 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 is when you have a certain opinion of yourself and a wave of people come in and just say, you're this, you're that, you're the other, it... You're just like, am I? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's brutal, the, the, the ego. For do, sure. do you know who doesn't have that? And, and this might sound completely ridiculous, but psych- psychopaths. I'm not sure if you've ever seen them in <laughs> interviews. Have you seen? Like, when they say, I don't care what people think, I actually believe them. Oh, million percent. Like, this, they only uh, care yeah, what they think. They don't care. Like, yeah. these people, and if you're not a psychopath, if you don't have that psychopathy, mm. and, and I don't think you do or I do, but temperamentally, we do care what people think. Mm. It's a natural thing. We need to find mechanisms to try and moderate that. So for me, my mechanism is, I ask myself one question. What do you actually believe on this matter? 
What do you actually believe? What's your belief? Mm-hmm. And so the first thing I say to myself is, whatever your belief is, do not compromise on that belief. No matter what, whoever says what. Because the, the wor- one thing worse than criticism is having cognitive dissonance. The idea that you have two contradictory belief systems or you're acting a certain way and you're saying something else. That internal inconsistency produces in the long term a worse psychological outcome. So my first question I ask myself is, what do I actually believe? If what I actually believe is X, and I'm saying it publicly because I believe that that's the right thing to say, and there's a negative impact, then that's just a byproduct of truth, which is you're going to have to, and it's a, quite frankly, it's a byproduct of success. Because you're, if, 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 you, if people are not criticizing you, then you're unlikely to be a success. One, one scholar of Islam, his name is Sharaw, um, a contemporary scholar, he said, in lam min al-haqidin, that if you don't have people who are resentful of you, know that you're a failure, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, 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 yeah, I mean, you think even Drake has people who think he's like a failure, he's terrible, and he's, you know, he's, so like it doesn't matter how successful you get. For example, Drake is an example of ultimate success right now in music. Yeah. Um, you're a very wise man, mate. Do you think so? Yeah, I, I'm just I'm just building on the shoulders of giants. Like everything I'm saying to no, you no. is copied and pasted. Uh, no, I I I get that, but yeah. you do it with swag, and we appreciate that. And yeah. you put your own your own thing on it, and that and I guess that's that's uh, that's what we're all doing, isn't it? Like we're we're trying to learn from people smarter than us and older than us, and hopefully then we can avoid making those mistakes as we get we become those men, uh, ideally. You know, I think that's it. And you know, there's a beautiful verse in the Quran uh, which says that. Uh, that God has made us into uh, that he has made us into tribes um, and people so that you may get to know one another. That God has made us basically into different colors. Another verse says different colors. Some of you are this color, some of you are that color. So you can get to know more about the human condition. And that in the Akramakum, that the best of you are those who are most um, God conscious. And, and in fact, famously, because I was watching something from Piers Morgan just yesterday, in fact, interestingly, they were talking about Winston Churchill. And they were saying, you know, there was a woman who came out and she said something like, you know, he was a racist and all these kind of things, right? And, and Piers Morgan was saying like, you know, but he was a racist, however, who wasn't at that time? And so I remembered this verse and I remembered what the prophet said. He said, there's no, and this is narrated authentically. He said that there is no virtue over a black man, over a white man, or a white man, over a black man that the best of you are those who are most God-conscious. So in other words, it's, it's a kind of spiritual meritocracy. The point is that Islam is a very inclusive religion, Not, you know, in, in terms of race, religion, or even sexual orientation, whoever you may be, although we have our stances. which maybe no, we, we When I watch about. one of your, your, your yeah. talks, you said it, uh, you'd be surprised at how practical you can apply, uh, practically, you can, uh, was it practically or pragmatically? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can apply Islam to everyday life. And that sort of, uh, one of my uh, preconceptions was, oh, really? Like, to me, that it, it seemed, uh, like all religion to me, by mm-hmm. the way, it isn't yeah. an, an Islam thing before people yeah, start yeah, sure. getting at me. I, it, in the modern day... No, but be, way, on, be as honest as you want. Because, the way I yeah, live my yeah. life, I always thought, is religion... Uh, really made for the current day version of me that's yeah. going through problems that obviously all of these ancient uh, scriptures they, they're old and, and I'm, I'm, I'm on friggin YouTube mm. like, you know how am I going to connect these dots so I sort of didn't even 
think about religion growing up in that sense because I just didn't think it would be applicable to me. I think that it's probably more applicable now than ever because if you think about what's happening in current Western societies, right? Mm -hmm. I was just looking at some statistics of divorce in the United Kingdom. It's really like it's exponentially increased, like at a level which... Is you're going to be a, a divorce lawyer, now's the time, bro. <laughs> yeah, do you get what I'm trying to say? <laughs> and so the, 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 then you have the family unit. Like, I'll give you an example. We were talking about the purpose of life and happiness and contentment and satisfaction. One, one of the most, the, one of the best um, studies that's been done on this is one by Harvard University, which I think is the longest, uh, in terms of a longitudinal study, the longest that ever been done. And it explored the question of what made people most satisfied. And its conclusion was, I think they had a 1,000 people and they tracked them from the 1950s, 1940s, I'm not sure, but up until like, you know, maybe 50 years, 60 years. And they kept asking them questions every year and so on. And then there was analysis, um, layered analysis over the, the decades. And their conclusion after all these years was that the number one thing that makes a person content is human relationships. Like, you know, your relationship to your mother, your relationship to your father, your relationship to your children, your relationship to your cousins, your friends, and so on. We would add to that as Muslims, your relationship with God. So it's, it's actually not the pleasure-seeking behavior. Like the best information that we have now from Western academia, I've just cited the, the Harvard uh, thing, but there's also, uh, Pew has done, interestingly, has done a study on who are the most uh, happy people, most content people. And in fact, they saw that uh, religious people were more content according to Pew, than uh, you know, irreligious people. This is according to Pew in America, I think they've done. So there is ample evidence to suggest that a, let's call it a traditional life where you have family, where you're, you're propagating your uh, genetics, where you have children, where you have good relationships with your parents, where these old school values is exactly what the human, uh, the human beings need today. Mm -hmm. like, so this question of like today in modern society, religions become irrelevant or has become not practical or unpragmatic or whatever you want to fill in the blanks. I think in reality, the opposite is true. And I was speaking to one particular individual called um, Nicola, uh, Nicholas Wolfinger, who's, who's a demographer in America. And I was asking him in what context, because um, he's written books about divorce and stuff like that. I said, in what context is, uh, for example, uh, are children most advantaged? And he said, of all of the models, family models that are out there today in the, in the modern age, the best is a traditional nuclear family with religious uh, input. And it could be any, he said it could be any religion. That's what he said. I'm, I can't, you know, put in my Islamic wise. He said it could be any religion, but there's regular practice in that religion. Because human beings are essentially anxiety-ridden creatures. And we need predictability. We need comfort. We need relationship and this kind of thing. So... I think religion actually does help human beings. I actually, I, I, in the family unit, I completely agree in yeah. that sense. I think politically, uh, I think some people use it in a negative way for their own means. But yeah. I think in the family unit, and and I would go as far as to say that mm. whether or not religion is the truth or not is is kind of irrelevant to the point I'm making. It's about having that belief in them core values, yeah. about treating each other well and all of the, and the roles that they encourage people to have. Because it does feel like, and we'll, I really want to get onto this with Ali, is the, there's a mating crisis right now. In gen, in, in, and it's being talked about by non-religious people now, but it does feel like when you, when you look back in history of the way people used to click up and get together and families and settle down, there's people are having a bit of a nightmare in London, just 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 finding a mate and, and 
where do we fit in with each other and, and who does what and all of that. So, and I feel like gender roles right now yeah. are just so. Uh, in, I'm not even talking about in in, in Islam. I'm yeah. talking about just in London. Yeah. There's a huge issue where women are overwhelmingly disappointed in men. Mm-hmm. And men don't know what the hell uh, women want, and where how how am I going to be a man? How, uh, what kind of man do they want me to be? You know, because we've lost all um, resemblance of what men used to fit into. And I think I'm an old school guy, so I kind of know where I sit. But not every woman wants that right now. And mm-hmm. how how do you view that? The thing is, in Islam, right? So we we've got our own kind of. There's a legalistic aspect. And then there's another aspect which you call it, a, you know, a psychological aspect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the legalistic aspect is that the laws relating to men and women in certain aspects are not actually the same. So if, if, if the general rule is actually equality, because the Prophet said in that certainly men are equal to women. But there are certain things uh, in Islam which a man can do that women can do and cannot do, and vice versa. So that's the first thing. So in other words. Uh, this might be known to many of your viewers, polygamy or polygyny, the, the fact that a man can marry up to four women, whereas a woman can only marry one man. Um, uh, that a man uh, is, for example, if there was an Islamic governance or something like that, he would be expected to to participate in, in military warfare, whereas a woman is not. Where, uh, for example, the man is um, commissioned to uphold the family in terms of protection, physical protection, as well as... Um, you know, financial protection as well. Whereas the woman is not uh, in that sense. It doesn't mean she doesn't need to work or she can't work, but it just means that it's an obligation on a man, a husband. So the original meaning in in, in society today, though, outside of religion, is yeah. like equality is just equal. End of story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And do you find that modern Muslim women are struggling with? Yes, uh, so not all. Of, it's, it's not just Muslim women. It's, I think it's modern Muslim women, and modern Muslim men. I think it's it's a it's an issue because really? there's competing uh, values here. Well, especially in the West, and not even in the West, even in the Middle East, you know, the, the um, I would, I would call that colonial discourse, to be honest with you, like, you know, the colonial discourse of, okay, these guys must be right because they have the world hegemonic power. But traditionally, there has been a difference in the way that we've conceived gender relations to, for example, the second wave feministic movement. Uh, we can't, I think trying to put those two things together is problematic from an Islamic perspective. And there's going to be this kind of cognitive dissonance that might come about as a result of it. Because there are these things, like, for example, to be more severe about it, um, a man has a man- managerial hierarchy in the house. Like, for example, his last word is uh, what actually is actualized. Not So when he puts his foot down, that's it. That's that, it. That's it. So, uh, is that what it's like in your house? Absolutely, but in, in practice, you know, my wife has a lot of influence this way in other ways. Uh, no, I, 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 I imagine, uh, look, in, in, in just general houses that I grew up in in Newcastle, yeah. it was like, if a woman wants that wall painted pink, we're no, going to no, have no, yeah. pink walls. We're not talking about that. Yeah, we're yeah. not talking about the petty stuff. No, 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 yeah. But what you're saying is the big serious decisions, a man has those. Yeah, I mean, but to, in practice is another thing. We're talking here in theory, because in practice, you know, I mean, women and men have a very much women first and foremost if you have children they're going to influence the children a lot more I mean, Warhol Farron said this very interestingly in his book The Myth of Male Power and this is kind of part of the backlash literature that he put forward against feminists which, which a lot of people like him and James Tooley and others have actually put forward uh, he said that look if, if a woman is in a company and she's now in charge let's say she's a manager and she's now in charge of five people and then she became in charge of eight people she, in most cases, in a capitalistic society, she'll see that as an enhancement of her powers. 
This is a, a promotion of some sorts because now you're in charge of more people. If, if a, a, for example, uh, a person is uh, the head of a, a particularly a seven classroom and then it becomes the head of year, they're in charge of more people, therefore their, their powers have increased. It's a promotion of some sorts and so on and so forth. But if a woman has three children and now has five, it's not see, do you see? It's not seen as an enhancement of power. Oh, no, I know what you're and, saying. And that. it all depends on how you define power. Because I, I like the, what he says, Warrell Farron. He says that power is your, your ability to, to change your own situation. Because if a woman can influence a, a child and she can change the situation from that perspective, and she can do so at disproportionately a higher level than a man can, which in most cases is the case, the Islamic discourse, for example, would say there needs to be a calibrating mechanism. Because she has influence in spheres that he will never be able to have influence in, mm-hmm. uh, because she's breastfeeding, she, there's a biological uh, advantage here, uh, and these kinds of things. So the man here is given uh, some, let's call it checking powers or vetoing powers or something like that. Uh, so in other aspects where the whole family is concerned or where he is concerned as well, uh, that he has a decision-making ability which supersedes that of the woman. So this is a managerial hierarchy. Can, can I yeah. ask a question, though, about your life specifically? Yeah, yeah. You, you said earlier you're a son of a single mother, Yes. Uh, just like me, and um, I wondered if, if watching your mother do both jobs, as mm-hmm. you know, she, it amazes me how they do it, yeah. um, how that impacted how you viewed women, and therefore now when, you, when you're in this uh, relationship with your wife, do you think you view it differently to other Muslim men who had both parents there or not? It's a very complicated question, very interesting question, actually. I've never been asked that before. I mean, I'm pretty good at my job. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I, that's a very good question. I've not actually thought about that in the sense that, to be honest... Because it's I, impacted me. Is I, why I'm I, feel like, I feel really sympathetic towards single mothers. Mm-hmm. Like, like, really sympathetic towards them. And I have a lot of respect for them. And I, and I feel like, in a sense, it's... Not in a cosmological sense, but in another sense, it's unfair the situation they're put in. Because, you know, at the end of the day, and I think this is the problem with the glorification of divorce. Because when women are put in that situation, like, you know, society pushes, or let's say friendship groups, women's uh, friends will say to them, you know, get rid of this guy. When he's left, then people like me and you might, may be disadvantaged, quite frankly. I do think I was disadvantaged. I think a lot, like I said, a lot of my pathologies that might be coming out now on the social media is to do with the lack of a father figure when I was uh, 13 or 14 years old. So I do think that it puts children at a disadvantage, puts me at, it put me at a disadvantage, although I had to plow myself, you know, just as you did, we had, to, we had to pick ourselves up and do it. But in a sense, it... It filled me with a kind of resentment for towards who? To, towards individuals that glorify glorify divorce and uh, breaking up families, and also uh, in the beginning towards my own father. I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you. And then I, you know, I, I had to work upon myself and you know remove that. Now I've expunged, I think, all of that from my system. Um, and now it's, it's. Can I ask you one more question yeah, about yeah. this? You know, because I remember trying to become a man without a man in the household. Yeah. And in the, the the emotions you go through and the wrestling inside that you go through, and you try and, and you know you, you're kind of uh, in the dark almost trying to figure this out. You know, mm-hmm. was there a, a bit of that for you yeah. as well? Yeah, I mean, for me, when I was becoming, like, I actually became religious as a result. I actually believe I became religious as a, uh, a result of a lack of a father figure because I started having identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Who am I? What am I? What, you know, were, no you born, were you born into the religion? Yeah, I was. But, oh, I, I, but my, it wasn't as... My mother, was, she, she's a practicing Muslim. My father, he was very much a liberal, you know, like, 
in a, in that sense. He wasn't. He was religious in the sense that he's you know he, he considered to be Muslim, but he's not. He wasn't practicing from the beginning. So I didn't have a big like I could have been wherever I wanted to be, especially living in London. Like you know, or I could have been an individual that um, uh, you know maybe was nominally Muslim, but did other things. Mm. So I still went through a self-discovery process when I was younger. And to be honest with you, in so doing, I started asking myself these existential questions. What is the purpose of life? What am I doing? I used to have a crisis. I actually had a crisis early on. I was like, what am I doing here? How like, old do you think you were when this all sort of played out? From 14 to 17. Wow. They're big years then. Yeah, yeah, and it was painful. It was the most painful thing. I've been through a lot of things in my life. Honestly, I've been through so much. Like in terms of, I've had pulmonary embolisms, I've had a brain tumor, this, that. Jesus. Of, yeah. That was the most painful thing I've ever been through. The most painful thing I've ever been through is existential crisis. What am I doing here? Doubts, uh, is Islam true? Is this so I had to go through a process where I had to ask myself what religion was true? What, 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 what system is true? I mean, obviously, there was a lot of years that went into that to ask you to sort of nail this in, in an interview like this is mm -hmm. uh, you know, difficult. But was there a moment where you remember that feeling in those teenage formative years of yours where you went, this is it. This is this is the the road for me. Yeah, I do remember. Like it was there was a time where I went to. I'm originally from Egypt and Alexandria. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's my hometown. So I went to Alexandria and it was Ramadan, mm -hmm. and it was not a matter of intellectual proof because I was looking at that. I was looking at what is what are the intellectual proofs of Islam. Mm. So I was thinking because I was exposed to them. Like for example, there was a figure called Zakir Naik who I used to watch when I was younger. And he was uh, a master of exhibiting the intellectual proof. What is the proof Islam is true? So he'd bring forward things like scientific things, you know, which uh, are mentioned in the Quran, which he would say that could never have been known at the time. And he'd give examples like, you know, the Big Bang and the expansion universe and these kind of things. And that for me was okay, it was good. Like how could the author of the Quran know this? The embryological stages of development of a human fetus which even to this day I find quite surprising to be honest with you, like because it's mentioned exactly how the fetus develops. And then you know you have these uh, people like Keith Moore and uh, Canadian professors becoming Muslim because they feel like they, this knowledge could not have been achieved at the time. So there was, a, there, was a, there was stock intellectual proof which I was exposed to as a, as a youngster in my formative years. But then for me, it was actually a matter of going back to prostration. I prostrated and I said to God, you know, guide me. Like, and it was very sincere. Like, I, I wanted the, the all-powerful, the higher power to guide me to the straight path. And I feel like something clicked. And it happened in the next couple of weeks after that moment. And it was Ramadan as well. It was a very, you know, special time and whatever. Something clicked. And thereafter, there was no, I didn't have a doubt. Like, I was so certain. And for me, having certainty about my existence, about the purpose of life, about what I'm doing here, about where I'm going, where I came from, what created me, all these things, I, I say this without a shadow of a doubt, it is the biggest gift I've ever been given. Uh, to be removed of my existential crisis, what am I doing here, what is the purpose of it all, this almost this nihilism that I had, like thinking, what is, it, what is this? I, I remember that feeling well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So having that removed was the best thing that happened to me. Um, can we talk a little bit about Ramadan? Because yeah. uh, I've only been really uh, exposed to it since Lauren started practicing it with uh, his wife. Mm -hmm. And he explained to me, you know, the, some of the things that he feels. But what, is it, what does it mean to you to do Ramadan? So Ramadan is basically, we believe it's a time. Shaykh Ramadan says that it's, it's, the, it's the time where the Quran was revealed. Mm -hmm. That it's a guidance for the people and so on. So it's, first of all, the, the, the main issue with it is that it was revealed, the Quran was revealed, we believe it was revealed then. So 
once again, the story was that the Prophet Muhammad, he, he had a meditative temperament. He used to go to the cave and then that one special night that the angel greeted, you know, saw him, he interacted with the angel. The angel told him, Iqra, read in the name of your Lord who has created hu human being from a clot, mm -hmm. which goes back to the embryological stages because yeah. something which clings and so on. Uh, read who has taught human being by the pen, hu taught human being that which he did not know. These were the first verses mm -hmm. to ever be revealed of the Quran. That read in the name of thy Lord who created human being from a clot, who taught human being from the pen that which he did not know. So basically, from that moment, the Prophet Muhammad would be given uh, revelations over a span of 23 years. So he's 40 years old at this time, up until 63. He'd be given piecemeal revelations uh, on a circumstantial basis. And then you'd have the Quran which would emerge from all of this. And so the first thing is that we believe that the Quran was revealed on that time. Obviously, it's a, it's a month of fasting as well, which is one of the pillars of Islam, to fast the entire month. And for me, that's, it's, a, it's a, one of the most physically challenging things. I mean, you're a big boy. That's what it is, because I'm used yeah. to eating like maybe 4,000 calories a day. I don't know what you have. <laughs> maybe, this, maybe more. About, about the same. Same, least, right? Yeah, yeah so, I, uh, so when the first couple of days is, is horrendous. Am I right in thinking you don't have sex in this period? You're not allowed to have sex when you're fasting. Right, so at night time, you when sex. you pray, you can have sex. The issue with it is that um, we usually pray quite long prayers at night. Uh -huh. And this is, if you look at the life of the Prophet Muhammad, this is what they did. The, the companions of the Prophet, they used to pray half of the night. So imagine praying for three, four hours. And you're, you're in that position the whole time. Thinking. Going up and down, up yeah. and, like in, and reading the Quran. The, the tradition is to, in, to finish the entire Quran in one month, usually that's what people do, oh. in the prayer itself. Right. So most mosques do that in London, for example. That's yeah. why you'll see that they do night prayers for a long time, one hour, two hours. Would you take us to a mosque? Absolutely, yeah. You're always invited. I might need your protection, that's all I'm thinking. No, you <laughs> don't need anyone's protection. Brother. They'll think you're my bodyguard. <laughs> yeah, so, um, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, so, so that's Ramadan. You, you, you go through the, the prayers and then, and then you fast. So it's prayers and fasting. Uh, if you look at the, the life of the Prophet, that's what his, like, his life consisted of. Fasting, and are you thinking praying. of him and what he went through while you're going through this process specifically? I'm thinking about the meanings of the Quran. Okay. Usually, like, I'm, I'm trying to, at least I'm trying to think. It's obviously tiring and it's restrictive because yeah. you, you can't eat or drink, by the way, and you cannot have sex or yeah. ejaculate. I've I, I seen Lawrence on do, trying to do, like, shows. M mouth bone dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks like shit. I mean, that's... But, I would never be able to do this if it wasn't for a religious uh, thing. Like, as, it, as in, it, it's, that gives you the, the energy to, to get through it, sort of thing. Yeah, I do. I, I, and this is, goes back to, like, you, you commentate on MMA and stuff. Mm. Like, I think a lot of the fighters, especially coming out of the Dagestan region and stuff like that, and I think they Dude, have this. They have I, this. Mate, we need... I, so one of my best mates who trains me, uh, shout out to Lawrence Oswecki, my boxing coach, mm. he, he uh, was a Team GB boxer, and he said to me once, he went... I envy religious fighters mm. because they go to another place sometimes that I just can't go to. Like, yeah, because he's like, they're in the ring. I'm in the ring thinking, I might die here. Yeah. They're in the ring, like, they think God is protecting them and they're on but this mission. If, if you think about how Islam expanded, yeah. like, for, think about it. For, and I, this is something is, is usually people criticize it, but mm. if you think about it from another perspective, um, you, you had a group of people in the Arabian desert who took over the Persian Empire and took over the Roman Empire, the two biggest empires almost the world has ever known. Mm. How did they do that? Because they did not fear death. It's as simple as that. In fact, Abu Bakr Siddiq, who is the best friend of the Prophet Muhammad, he had a beautiful saying. He said that, uh, that 
you know, uh, this is a very difficult one to translate, but basically try and be uh, nonchalant about death. Like don't care about dying or even want to die. Like in other words, want to die. And then life will present itself to you. You know what? That, that, I'm not a uh, religious guy. Obviously yeah. I've made that very clear. But the more I've felt like that as I've gotten older, um, my mother died when I, when I was younger and it yeah. definitely gave me a sense of um, there's somebody there waiting for me at the end of this. So if anything, I'll be reunited with her afterwards. So mm -hmm. almost like it, it, the way I, I live, I live my life after that became much more fearless and more then more fulfilling. And that's what living is. Yeah, living is it, like honestly, like I'm not at that stage because now we're, we're, I'm also spoiled by the comforts of modern age. Mm. But the, if when when I look back at these particular figures, like where they're literally. They, they actually, to be honest with you, they they want to die, in a, not in, not in the sense that you know I want to kill myself. No, I don't want to myself. No, obviously they don't have any bombs. <laughs> but in the sense that you know, there's a verse in the Quran that says, "Hel tarabbasuna bina illa ihdal husnayin," that there's two good things: either victory or death. Death is seen as a good thing because if you die, you're a martyr. You, you know so when you have that mentality, bro, like when you have that mentality, but when you have that mentality, that's that is a way in which you can live a life which, to be honest with you, is the most brave potential life. Like you can take risks that you would never otherwise take because you think death is not, the, it's not the end, it's the beginning. I've actually been put, I was in trouble for saying this. Oh, I'm saying to you right now, I, I put on the newspapers, they call me the we love death activist. <laughs> but hey. the, the reason, we're not saying kill yourself, yeah. we're, we're saying that don't fear death. We're saying that if someone was uh, being, sorry to say, sexually assaulted in the street, that we have the bravery to stop that. We're saying that if you have a mentality where death is the beginning, your life will change uh, completely, like on its head. And I'm reminded by uh, what you're saying. Uh, well, I interviewed Muhammad Ali's grandson uh, in the last year, mm -hmm. uh, who's a very spiritual guy, uh, obviously Muslim uh, young young man who started his boxing career. We were talking about his his, his grandfather, and uh, and there was a there was a quote um, that I brought up at that time about um, Mike Tyson, who we talk, Mike Tyson was talking about Muhammad Ali, and he went, Mike, uh, Muhammad Ali." He was fearless beyond anything I can ever imagine. He, he was willing to die for what it meant for him. And, and um, you know, you're a, you're a combat sports fan. Have you looked into Muhammad Ali and everything and his whole journey? Yeah, yeah. Because, because I mean, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I'm, I'm watching Muhammad Ali, you know, really sacrifice himself for his people and put himself out there as heavyweight champion of the world and go... Do what you want. Shoot me, take me. I, I, I'm not going to be a tool uh, for what you guys want me to be, which is um, uh, basically he wanted to stand up for his people no matter what it cost him. Absolutely. And this is uh, one of the famous uh, scholars of Islam in the, in the 13th century, his name is Ibn Taymiyyah. Mm. He, he was being, um, like the authorities at the time were saying that we're going to put you in prison. He said, if you put me in prison, you're giving me seclusion, like alone time with God. If you kill me, you make me a martyr. <laughs> And if you let me free, then I'm going to continue. So there's nothing you can do to me, basically. Like yeah. He's uncancelable from that perspective. Yeah. And it's that attitude towards life which gives us the most, it's the most empowering attitude ever, I think. I think a lot of these people like Muhammad Ali, Khabib Namagamedov, mm -hmm. I think to, to maybe a lesser extent, more extent, we don't know. Um, even Hamza Chemaev, like these guys, I think they do have that and it's part of their culture. Even mm -hmm. wrestling is a, is, a, is a sunnah in the sense that mm -hmm. the Prophet, like 
freestyle wrestling was something that was practiced by the Prophet. Mm. In fact, even books were written, Islamic books were written about like why doing freestyle wrestling was something which is encouraged from the Islamic perspective. But it was a book written by a guy called Siyuti in the ninth century. It's called Al Musara, Al Musara, that hastening to wrestling. And so basically, this I, I do believe that it's made its way into combat sports. This mentality has made its way into combat sports. A million percent. Yeah, which is why I, I, you're finding these people. You know, when I first discovered uh, boxing, it was Prince Nassim Hamed, who was the superstar. And yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he was the McGregor of his day. He, he, yeah, yeah. he was far more entertaining than McGregor. Yeah, he, was, he, yeah. he was the, the guy. The entrances and the, the oh, spinning and all this. Mate, like, the man was magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And I think he's he's kind of been forgotten by modern day... Com- like, he, he's probably one of the best boxers, British boxers of all time, right? Mate, unbelievable. Yeah. Like, um, and I remember at the end of his uh, fights saying, um, you know, uh, to Allah and all of that sort yeah. of stuff. And um, uh, Famously, Mike Tyson said the same thing one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then he said, I want to eat his children. Yeah. Right after, I was like, not the most religious thing I've heard, Mike. Maybe just leave that bit out next time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, combat, isn't it interesting how, I think men, young men, we're not feeling powerful anymore. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're losing what it, what it was to be a man back in the day. And then you have this wave of combat sports of true alpha males who are also talking about their religion and, and specifically Islam. It, it, let's be real, it's, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of Christian guys talking about it. It, it is. Islam. I mean, but to be fair, if you look at the UFC champions, like as, a, as an example, right? Mm. Most of the champions have either been Muslim or Christian. I don't think there's many hardcore atheist champions. Like if you think about it. Uh, like Pereira, by the way, is a Muslim. The one who just oh really? Yeah. He, he's done his shahada. You know, he's a he's a Muslim. He's a well. massive guy. Yeah, and you know, Jesus. so it, I I do think there's something to be said. I'm not saying therefore there's a causation. I'm saying there's something to be said about is it the case that religious fighters because you're seeing from lightweight, featherweight, flyweight up until heavyweight, every like Nganu is a Christian. Um, now Pereira is a Muslim. Uh, you know, but isn't keep is, going back. is it the discipline though that helps you? Kind of, you were talking about discipline earlier. If you guys mm. live that way, discipline, discipline. If there's anything about Khabib that comes across is, you know, when that Khabib McGregor yeah. thing happened, yeah. I was sort of blinded by the razzmatazz of Conor McGregor. And I mean, who yeah, was you're his biggest fan? Wasn't mate, it? <laughs> mate, it's funny that changed yeah. uh, because you know when you, he, you attacked him after, isn't it? I did, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know he was beating up all men in pubs. Yeah, I was like, I, I can't support this. Yeah. Um, and 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 at the time, I was like, uh, Khabib. First language isn't my language. He's not that charismatic, and his style is very much um, suffocate you. It's not as yeah. dynamic as McGregor was. Yeah. Like, easy on the eye, you know. But as as the years have gone on. You see McGregor's gone down the pleasure-seeking road. Khabib still dresses like, you know, just a normal guy. Yeah, he's obviously got the money, but you see that, I mean, they're just polar opposites. And I guess now I look back at it and, and I, um, I heard a real nice quote from Islam Makachev who basically said, you know, there was a time where something went wrong. We couldn't afford hotels, and Khabib just went. I'm covering everything, guys. He pays for his whole team, and you know when he when he was seeing his dad um, pass away, mm-hmm. what he's then grown into being is is the father figure of all these uh, Muslim Dagestani fighters. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I have to take my hat off to him and just say fair play to you. Are we? Uh, we got my next guest. But I, I've been there uh, watching a lot of your videos, mate. Yeah. Oh, aye. Big okay. time. Uh, so you're a secret fan, yeah? I mean, I'm be, I <laughs> no, kind of... You can be honest with me, don't you? No, I, I swear, I, to get in a crowd like you do, specifically, yeah. I'm yeah. like, this guy, 
Yeah. Like it takes a lot of energy to do that and to, yeah. to actually hold court the way you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks stressful, it's man. It's very difficult. It is, it is, man. It's stressful. Yeah. Especially when you go to a freedom of speech crowd and uh, they try to kill you. Really? Yeah. Have you seen it? Tommy Robinson's. Well, Tommy Robinson hates me, so I thought that would get me a pass. He hates, he hates you? Yeah, oh, I thought I, that would do me all right in the Muslim community. Yeah, yeah perfect. Uh, because um, we, he basically wanted to come on my podcast, and I was like, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> and, uh, when, he, when was this back then? Uh, a couple of years, a few years yeah, back, because yeah. he was uh, hanging around at the Logan Paul KSI fights, trying ah. to get any bit of clout he could, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, welcome back to the True Jordy Podcast. Extra guest, it is Ali Dawa. Uh, you were... I mean, I just have to take this on real quick. Mm. Tommy Robinson rally, what, what was going on there? Like, what, what were you thinking? Yeah, I think the thing is what was not going on there. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, to be honest, I, I, tr I treated it... Uh, firstly, thanks for having us here. Of course. I appreciate, it's, it's I appreciate you coming. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to meet yourself, your mm. team. Uh, really uh, appreciate it. And I think it's important to have communication. I think the lack of communication is what causes a big... A lot of issues, mm. uh, which is one of the communications I tried to have with Tom Robinson actually. All oh, right, uh, but he avoided it for a long time until we funny finally, old thing finally met. Uh, yeah, so when uh, you say met, it, was that a no? Oh, let's meet up, mate. Oh, like this is, uh, or was it more a hello? Yeah, well, to be <laughs> honest, it was a surprise uh, show up. I had to show up in one of his court cases because I was kind of pursuing him for quite a long time um, in a legal way, of course. Okay, um, yeah, because he was you know harassing a lot of people, spewing a lot of nonsense, mm. uh, Islamophobic comments, and these things that. He was saying, "Come at the come at a cost." It's not just someone saying something, mm. you know. It's like my wife walking down the road with a hijab, um, might have a hijab ripped off her head, um, and innocent Muslim man going to the mosque might get stabbed. Uh, so these comments have consequences. So mm. that's why I was very adamant and persistent of uh, persistently trying to find him. And I told him, like on social media, "Let's meet up. Let's talk. Let's have a let's have a debate. You you claim these things." Let's have a debate about it. And he just avoided it and avoided. It. And I was thinking, what's he scared of? Like, if you are so adamant and believe that. <clears throat> Islam says, you know, go and kill the infidels wherever you find them. You know, infidels being yourself, of course. And me and Hijab have something planned after. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So the thing is, it's, it was just like, okay, this is interesting. But he was avoiding it and avoiding it. And I thought to myself, why is he afraid? So obviously, um, after my uh, confrontation with him, if I'm not mistaken, um, he had a freedom of speech rally. So this was open for everybody. And I thought that's interesting. I'm sure he would have no problem having Muslims there. Well, it's freedom uh, of speech, right? Yeah, it's freedom of speech, isn't it? That's what the banner is about. And I knew it was, uh, it was a pretense. So obviously, I saw it as a social experiment I thought okay look let's try this okay I'm going to get in contact with Lucy and George uh, the team and I said look can I come and speak as a Muslim and they were like well of course and I, and I thought well I admired that I was at least they're sticking to their word um, everything was planned my name was on there my picture was there and hijab obviously we was like uh, I think it was a couple of years we got to know each other and you know, we was working together you know and he said let me come I said yeah why not you know because I'm quite it's nerve wracking to re read the speech in front of far, the far right and he's uh, a big guy that's a good idea it was, like, it, it was, it was a good idea yeah it was a good idea <laughs> yeah exactly it was a good idea so he came we went there and the moment we got there it, it just started oh you're not going to speak no, you are going to speak. You're not going to speak. I'm like, make your mind up. Am I speaking or am I not speaking? And at the end of the day, you are, where we are is hostile. At least get us to the back, you know, where, if you, even if you're going to not allow us to speak. So where they were keeping us was as if it was intentional. Like, because mm. it's a hostile crowd, you know? So, and we were just, look. Uh, were you a little scared? Well, to be honest, look, um, at the beginning, not really. Towards the end, when it got hostile, of course, everybody in that situation, is someone going to pull a knife? You know, we don't know. So the thing is, obviously, um, I was a bit, I don't know about him, he was like, I'm ready to fight and ready to uh, die. <laughs> but obviously... And, 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 did you see what happened? Have you seen the video? I haven't seen... No, I know. I haven't, I haven't, yeah, I, yeah, so they, they rushed me in it, like all of yeah, them. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah literally, yeah. physically. 
Like they will be. Yeah, yeah. Really? Like yeah, yeah. yeah. What, you, did you have any injuries afterwards? Or no? No, no that's just, how that's uh, how bad uh, they were. That's <laughs> a big. It's a big head to be yeah, fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take a few. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, no, and you can't and you can't miss it when you we went. We went to court. We went to court. Yeah, yeah. And one of them got convicted. Wow. Yeah. What do you think it was that? And obviously. I can't even imagine what it's like to be in that situation. And yeah. the pair of you got balls, right? It's a yeah. fair play. Yeah. Other than what is going on in their heads before you meet them, mm. was there a was there a thing that you felt was the last thing that you said before it all kicked off? Do you remember that? To be honest, what what I remember is that we was there just waiting, and then we had people come in and saying, "Are oh, you this? You that?" I was like, "Okay, whatever. Just I'm I'm here to give my talk." And uh, it was just that. And then what happened was there was this guy as tall as hijab. And I think, I don't know if he was into MMA or something, he was just running his mouth. So hijab, obviously, he's, you know, he, he likes to keep things legal, you know. He's too legit to quit. <laughs> so anyways, he, he said to the guy, I said, look, if, you, if, you, if you're going to really run your mouth, let's have a legal MMA fight, or a charity, you know. And I said, I said, that's quite creative, actually. So then afterwards, what we realized, the same guy made a phone call. When I saw the phone call, I realized the FLA, the Football Lads Alliance or something mm-hmm. like that, they were about to come. So when they came and surrounded us, and they were, like, some of them were, like, nudging me. You know, so you can see they were trying something, you know. And that's when Lucy came and the police came and they told us, they took us to um, the side of a van. So behind us is a van. In front of us are like hundreds, literally like, ready to eat, like, like crocodiles, yeah. So they're just there and they're just, they're just spewing their nonsense. And I'm like, I came here to talk and I was thinking, what happened to freedom of speech? I, was, I, was, I, was, I couldn't believe it. I believe for Tommy Robinson, the best thing he could have done was let me speak. Because at least he'll be like, you know what, look, we started freedom of speech. We despise what he says. You know, who was it? Was this Forte. Forte. He said, I despise what you say, but I will defend to death your right to say, say it. it. Yeah. So I was thinking, where's the freedom of speech gone? Yeah. So Sikh can speak. Uh, the people from different religions can speak. Uh, a a, a transgen- transgender can speak. Whoever, uh, a Muslim? Oh, so that's when I realized, I said, this social experiment is showing me that the issue has got nothing to do with freedom of speech. It's that Muslims are not allowed to talk. Me and Mohammed, we, we had a good chat before you yeah. came about yeah. uh, his upbringing and how he became the way he was. And yeah. I am keen to get to know a little bit about yeah. that about you because yeah. in my head, obviously, there's lots of nice, chill Muslim people out there who, who have the same opinions as you guys, yeah. but they're sat at home comfy, safe. Yeah. They're not trying to get up in Tommy Robinson's face. Yeah. So what makes you different? Why, why do you feel like it is your responsibility? or why do, What makes you confrontational in that way? What's mm-hmm. inside you? To be honest, I try not to be confrontational. Uh, our message of like dawah, dawah is an invitation for people to come to Islam. It's an invitation. You accept or you reject, it's also up to you. So it is, our dawah style is not to be confrontational. But when you're dealing with different kind of individuals, with Tommy Robinson and the far right, like I've had discussion with the Britain first, I've confronted them, um, Lawrence you Southern. say you're not confrontational, but you like. <laughs> I got, I got a list. These are just five fingers. I got, there's I got a, a list. list. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the thing is, these individuals who are um, promoting hatred, they need to be confronted head on. Yeah, intellectually. What, what makes you think that, that that's your job, though? Okay, good. So, to me personally, when I was looking at these things happening, mm. in, in what was happening with the far right, etc., Muslims being abused, harassed, I didn't find a need. I don't, I don't have this Robin Hood thing, kind of like, I'm going to come, I don't have this saviour complex. The thing is, I was like, I wish there is someone out there that can make these people taste their own medicine. And there was no one necessarily there. Hijab newly came into the scene after this happened. So I thought to myself, it was really frustrating. One thing I don't like is to see injustice. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it's done towards. I hate it. So when I saw no one saying nothing and these guys are just scot-free, I, it really enraged me. So I just, that's when I just pers- uh, started my, uh, pursuing them and just said to them, look, let's have a debate. Let's have a discussion. Let's have a debate. Let's have a discussion. Nope, 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 nope. Why? 
Why? Freedom of speech to come and let's talk. So it was being rejected. So after that happened, I had... Was like it on a, camera or off camera? On social media, because I tried to reach out to them. Mm. Uh, I think I once I got Tommy Robinson's number, if I'm not mistaken. But I genuinely <laughs> tried to, you know, uh, get in contact with him. You know, I even w- went near his house, not to his house, because I have respect to his family. I went near a house, uh, a park near his house, and I took a picture. I said, look, I'm, you know, I'm here. And the reason I did that... I'm sure is, he loved that. Uh, he loved it uh, a lot, actually, you know. <laughs> it was flabbergast. But the thing is, the reason I did that is because he goes to journalist's house. He goes to journalist's house and uh, bangs the door. No, you did give him a taste of his own medicine. I had to. And I, I hear yeah, that. Yeah, that's why. And I, I appreciate you, obviously, you didn't bang on the door the way he does. Yeah. Um, have you got a wife? Yes. Okay. Is she not worried like about your safety when you're doing these things? Well, stuff well, like? well of course, the thing is, we don't like doing it. Like, for example... Maybe I can mention on camera myself that we've had the threats. We've had the Osmo, is it, what's it called? Osman Warning? Osman Warning. Osman Warnings, yeah. Literally, we would, at certain times, I'm not going into detail, we would take certain measures. We were told, like, we might be stabbed, somebody's called on a, in a how, phone how box. How do you deal with that? Well, the thing is. I'm just asking because the last week I've had quite a few. I could do with some. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need to, I'm going to tell you some off camera, on camera <laughs> things, yeah. <laughs> okay. So the thing is, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're Muslims, we believe in God Almighty. So obviously, prayer is number one. You know, we ask God Almighty to protect us. So we have our morning and evening. Um, something that we recite to protect us. This supplication uh, protect us from, because we believe in the unseen, uh, magic and all this kind of stuff and we believe in the, so those are the things that we do um, pertaining to that. But obviously you need to, uh, the Prophet peace be upon him said, you know, to tie your camel, meaning that you don't jump off a 10th floor and be like, oh yeah, God will save me. It doesn't work like that. You know, we have to use our brain. For example, I put my seatbelt on the car. I don't say, oh yeah, you know, I have full trust in God. Uh, it doesn't work like that. You have to have your no, precautions I, in place. So no. when we go to certain places, we make sure that if we're regular somewhere, we become irregular. Like, you know, if we're t- every we going to a certain specific location, uh, have maybe extra brothers and some other measures as well, you know, that you, you can wear. Okay. Uh, and okay. I'm, I'm not talking about uh, firearms, by the way. Uh, no, no, when I, I said you I, can wear. I yeah. get you. Yeah. I mean, Just to make that clear. One, one of the, the things I really enjoyed talking to Muhammad about, uh, yeah. which I also want to ask you about, is yeah. uh, Muhammad described when he was a young man and, and, and how he was feeling unsure about yeah. who he was and, and what his purpose was. Yeah. And that's how he, he found, well, he already, you're already religious, but obviously that was what made you uh, more certain of it. Yeah. Was there a moment for you personally that I, made I, you feel I, that? I wasn't a Muslim. So this is this might be interesting to you. Okay. I, I, was, I came to Islam 10 years ago. Wow. So, so my dad's atheist. Um, and he has a very strong hate, a passion. Like to, He doesn't like Islam. Do you have conflict with him for that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For the past 10 years, when I mean conflict, obviously in our religion uh, that Allah says in the Quran that uh, after you show your uh, obedience to God Almighty, you're worshipping him, to be obedient to your parents. So these parents can be Muslim or non-Muslim. So you have to be obedient towards them. This is something that sadly is forgotten in our times. But there's times where, like I've had the times where my dad slapped me in my face. He kicked me out of the house. Uh, and I know that's not coming. You deserve that, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Am I ever? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. So the thing is, it's it's uh, when that happened. Obviously, um, I know he doesn't come from an evil place, but he has this perception of Muslims and Islam, and so he's scared for me. So that's why he was he tried different approaches, tried to use intellectual arguments. Okay, it didn't work. Okay, put some pressure on him, didn't work. Oh, maybe just going through a phase, let him be, didn't work. So and he was like, and and I was becoming more and more religious. So he didn't like that. So but now he's better, a bit better. What, where is it now, out of interest? Because this is fascinating for me. Okay. Like what? 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 What is his acceptance level at now? Oh, it's interesting. Like sometimes it's very interesting because, like sometimes I'll have moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, he might accept Islam, maybe. And oh, he might accept. Like, okay. like, like I'm like maybe there's a possibility, and then next minute he'll come up with something, and I'm like, wow, he'll just he'll just insult Islam and like say some really. And how does that make you feel? Well, it does because like, there, yeah. there is that conflict in the yeah. sense of, yeah. you know, it's your religion and your yeah. parent. Yeah. You, you know, you love. Both. Yes. 
I do, but like we, our love to our religion is greater, and that might sound strange to you, but uh, you know our religion to uh, our love to our Lord and the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him is greater than our love, and it should be greater. Should I say I, I, it's something that someone can say easily? It's not easy, easy said than done. But the thing is, it it, it, it obviously it breaks you apart to know that you know your dad, you know, is hostile, and obviously you want the best for him in this life and in the hereafter that we believe in. So you have your ups and downs, but my mom's always been there to like, when I used to pray, I used to pray secretly. He never knew. He found out after a couple of years that I pray. He actually caught, he actually one day he walked in. So my mom's there. I've had parents walk in on me doing stuff. <laughs> so, okay. you know, it this sounds is, worse, but like, is, I've had way worse. Yeah, this is, this is, this is a different no. one, yeah. So this one is like literally, and I heard my dad, but I thought to myself, you know what, how long am I going to hide it from him? I'm, I'm praying and my mom's like, Get up, get up, get up. Oh. And I was thinking, nah, 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 I'm just going to pray. So he comes in and there's awkward silence. And I can remember, it's, I cannot explain how awkward it was and like scary at the same time. So he's there, he comes in and there's awkward silence. And then he goes to my mom and goes, what's he doing? And my mom's like, my mom's, and then, and he's speaking to me, I'm in prayer. He goes, what are you doing? And I'm just, and I'm like sweating and I'm, I'm just carrying on praying. So he's, can you imagine, he gets a chair and he's watching me. So I'm like, I don't know, is he there? Is he not there? Is he gone? Is he gone to, like, what's going on? So I finish my prayer and I look at him and I'm thinking, okay, it's a, it's a moment where you'll have some kind of mercy, isn't it? <laughs> Bro, he turns around to me and he goes, and by the way, like, I, I, sometimes it sounds like I'm vilifying my dad. My dad just wants the best for me. He's just any other father that wants the best. He just has fears. So he turns around to me and goes, don't ever pray in my house again. And well, like, that killed me. That literally, it's like somebody... I don't know, it really, really hurt. Because he wasn't accepting you for who you are. Yeah. It, and and uh, any kid around the world will understand yes, that. Yes. Exactly. And, and the thing is, it's like, what am I doing so wrong? Like, what exactly. is it? So that's what... And if, you, would, if you were doing heroin, Exactly, enough. exactly. Yeah. You know, if I'm an addict or something, you would understand. But yeah. so, to, it was sad. But at the end of the day, it's, he's better. He's much better now, more accepting. Okay, so, so one thing that you haven't... I mean, that, that's, that's very interesting. And I wonder how many other people are going through similar things. Uh, but what was it that sort of drew you to the religion? Was there a person? Okay, so to me, for personally, for my story, like for example, I come from a start, like before when I used to live in London, I lived in London most of my life, I was involved in gangs and stuff like just fighting, your typical just like fighting, getting into fights and all that kind of stuff. Um, so then afterwards, what happened is I used to get into a lot of trouble here. I got caught walking with a knuckle duster. Um, so a, a undercover officer, sorry, and I was, I was literally f playing around with it. So they stopped me, they arrested me. Uh, and then my dad heard that. He said, look, you're coming. He had a business outside of London. He said, you're coming with me. I lived at a place called Grimsby. Have you heard of Grimsby? Yep. Yes, I, I believe it's one of the most racist towns in London. I mean, in the UK. Bro, uh -huh. bro, I, I used to be called the P-A-K-I. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm Kurdish, but I'm Turkish. Do you get it? <laughs> my, my black friends would be called that and they'll be like, like, you know, we're not, we're not, do you get what I'm trying to say? So we used to get into fights, happy days. But when I moved there, my whole lifestyle changed. It changed from fighting gangs to partying, clubbing, girls, all that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. So, yeah, 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 I, I would live that lifestyle. Every, don't lie. Every, no, no, no girls for you, bro. <laughs> 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 okay. Yeah, it's that, yeah. And, but, I'm, but you yeah. tasted uh, that lifestyle. Yes, I lived that and, lifestyle, and for, yeah. for, 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 I guess... Yeah, and I'm not proud of it. No, but, but, <laughs> but the fascinating yeah. thing for me yeah. is, is yeah. obviously when I was talking to Muhammad, it was yeah. it was his struggle to avoid the yes. lifestyle in yes. the first yes. place. Yes. But once you've tasted it, yes. to then turn your back on it, it's almost mm. potentially harder in some regards. Yes, yes, yes. So, so how was there a moment where it got really bad, or you know, where you felt like you hit a bit of a rock bottom? To be honest, when I was living that lifestyle, there were certain things that started to make sense to me. Like I, I had, like there was, I always thought, I always believed in a higher power. 
I, I thought religion are man-made to control the masses. I thought I've got no, no time for that. I don't believe in that. I believe there's some kind of a power. It has that, to that's be. basically what I am. Just so you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. fine. I was there. I was there a long time ago. Mm. You know, and I always give this example. You know, like I, I used to stare at my socks, and you might think, why socks out of everything? So I used to look at my socks, and I'd be like, mm, interesting. I go, this has a purpose. This has some kind of a design, and it has a designer. So I thought to myself, I'm more complex than this socks. And I thought to myself, how could the socks have a purpose and I don't have no purpose? It just, uh, it, 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 no, yeah. no, you're making sense because I've just had a memory. Yeah. There's a guy I know who's a scientist who yeah. he works on um, human blood. Okay. And that's what made him religious. Wow. Uh, wow. Which, yes, it, yes. which is so strange. I went, yes. you're a scientist. You're supposed to be at odds with religion. Exactly. And he went, when I looked at blood under a microscope, I seen a design. Yes. And my brain was like, there's a creator. Yes. The, Boom, yes, that was it. Exactly. You, uh, it, to me, it was um, not blood, but my soul. No, but, that, but, but the <laughs> yeah. same. Exactly, guess, yeah, exactly, it makes exactly, sense. exactly, yeah. So the thing is, when I had that realization, I thought, okay, there's, there, there is a creator, but if that creator exists, then why did he put me here? It's impossible for, me, for him to be a creator that has, is purposeless creator, yeah? There must be a purpose. And I thought to myself, okay, there must be a true religion out there somewhere. It, it, one of these, whichever one it is, it must be because he must have, have some kind of communication. What does he want from me? Why am I even here? Where am I even going? What is all this about? Mm. It's like we give the example if you're in a train and, or a plane, wherever you may, and you've got everything you want on that train. But at one moment, you're going to be, well, hold on a second. Who put me on this plane? Where the hell is this plane going? It's all fun and good, but where am I going and why am I here? So this question made me realize, well, hold on a second. That's when I opened the Bible. Um, you know, uh, I opened the Bible. I read the Bible a lot. Uh, I used to, um, I was in a relationship, uh, which obviously relationships uh, outside of marriage are haram. Um, you know what haram is? Uh, kind of, yeah. Not, permi not permissible. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's not permissible. So um, she was half white, half Asian. So her mom, I was very close with her mom. I used to celebrate Christmas with them, Easter with them. Um, you know, just typical. I used to put the Christmas tree up, you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah, literally. I used to read the Bible um, and I was just intrigued and I was reading and I looked into different religions. I spent three and a half years uh, looking into comparative religion. And was this in your mind of, I'm going to select one out of these? Yes. or were Okay, so you yes. made that decision. Yes, I said one of these has to be from God. Which one, I don't know. But I'm just going to start my journey. Uh, but obviously the concept of one God w resonated with me because I was like, multiple gods? Mm, so who, which God? Did that God create that God? I was like, there has to be one ultimate power. It can't be two, you know? So, uh, well, I'm, I'm, yeah. Just, just no, to explore that with you. Yes. Because you do talk quickly. Yes. <laughs> I need to slow down. No, it's all good, mate. I'm, I'm, you, you're full of uh, interesting stuff, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm sitting, thinking here... Why one and not two? Just out of interest. Good. What, so, what made you think that that was all? And it does make sense to me, I get yeah. it, but I want to hear what you think. Okay, so we, we use an argument from contingency. So this is an argument I'll try to present to you. Mm. He would do a better job. And by the way, when he told me he's coming here, I said to him, look, you just go ahead, you do a better <laughs> job. I'll be honest, I'll be honest, he'll do a much better job. No, uh, but but uh, these are experiences people like, yeah. I don't have this, we don't have the same experiences. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but, contingency yeah. being so, so a, argument, a scientific so the, term. So the argument right? of contingency, so, uh, yeah. no, this is an argument to prove why there has to be one God and not two gods. So this is a contingent thing. So this thing relies on something else for its own existence, right? Uh, so we have three kinds of existence. Correct me when I'm uh, from it, yeah? Okay, because I learned this, by the way, he's my teacher in this, yeah? Uh, so basically, we have impossible existence, possible existence, and necessary existence. Impossible existence is, can we have a triangle circle? We can't. Okay. okay, so we were left with two things. Possible existence and necessary existence. This is a possible existence. This could be any other way. This could have not existed, right? So therefore, what we see is that within our universe, for example, there are contingent things. These are things that rely on something else for the existence, be it our planet, be it the sun, be it the galaxies, and be it our universe. Us. So what we see is, yeah. exactly, even us, yeah? So what we see is you cannot have an infinite regress of dependent things. 
right? We're dependent. Our planet's dependent. The sun is dependent. The galaxy's dependent. The universe dependent. You cannot have an infinite regress of dependent things. You, it requ we require a necessary being, which we call God, necessary being, which is independent and self-sufficient, which gave rise to all of those. Am I right in thinking that I watched you debate this with three? Uh, yes, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Those guys. And I was, I was keep, the keeping three whitest guys. You've yeah, ever yeah, seen, yeah, by yeah. Way. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they were, they were, they were characters. No, but the point about them, that's good. So, the, so the yeah. necessary existence. <clears throat> the reason why we would say that there can't be more than one of them mm. is that there's a very simple thing in the Quran, which which says that that God has not taken a son and that He doesn't have any other God with Him. Had that been the case, each of those gods would have taken what they possess from the creation and they would have tried to outstrip one another for power. So let me put it this way. Let me put it in UFC terms because you're a UFC guy. I love that. <laughs> okay, let's put it in UFC terms. Okay. <laughs> now let's, let's assume there's two gods and uh, they fight each other. Now there's, there's three options. Either they draw or one loses, one wins or both of them lose, okay? If we're saying, if we assume that God is the all-powerful, the higher power, the all-powerful one, meaning that there's no power greater than that power. If we say that these two gods are drawing in a fight, where the, that diminishes from their power. How can an all-powerful God draw in a fight? Yeah. If we say one of them loses, one of them wins, once again, obviously now you have a victor and the other one is not actually a God now. Okay, okay. If both of them lose, neither of them are gods. Uh -huh. yeah. So this is an exhaustive... Mm. Uh, way of thinking about it. If you have one winner and one loser, that winner is the true God. Mm -hmm. If both of them are drawing, if it's a draw, then that diminishes from both of their power. If both of them lose, neither of them are gods. So in other words, it's, it's impossible to have more than one all-powerful existence. Because mm -hmm. if you have more than one all-powerful, then it would suggest uh, that there's, uh, it would go back to one of those three examples. Mm. Like uh, the Vikings' uh, beliefs, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. They had multiple gods. Um, so I'm not sure. Yeah, we, I don't know how true that is, but you know, yeah. I watch Vikings. They all talk about yeah. multiple gods. Um, one thing that I am finding interesting is the fact that you came into the religion yeah. later on in yes. life, and I'm wondering what is it like for people who walk away from Islam, who are, let's say, 30 years old yeah. and one day decide this isn't for yeah. me anymore. How are they viewed by the religion? Yeah. To be, that. to be honest, we, we get this question asked a lot. Like, to be honest, they're free to like if they choose to leave. They can choose to. Islam is not in need of anybody. Um, if somebody decides um, at a certain age that I don't want to be a Muslim anymore, good on you. Mm. You know, all the best in the, in the future. You know, so it's it's not necessarily like oh, like yes, you might get or you get it with every like if if you had somebody I don't know who just said I don't know. Um, any, 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 in group, out group. Yes, 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 yes. Any, yeah. they're still going to be like that. Oh, you're, you know, you, you betrayed us. Blah, 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 some verbal. You know, you hear about yeah. like Scientology though, where they're like hunting you down and make, you know, like really? oh, that crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's bound to happen. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's human nature. Something, but you know, yeah. And a lot of it is depending on the country because there's like yes. of the like we're talking about when we talk about Islam, there's 59 Muslim majority countries of 196 countries. And so each country has its own cultural mm. climate. Yes. Like if it happens in Pakistan, I think it's different if it happens oh, in Morocco, Of course, 100%, example, definitely. Or if it happens in definitely. Nigeria or something. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, one of my favorite videos I used to make, and I call it a favorite. I've been, you know, I've been doing my research, and it yeah. was just a fascinating uh, to hear you guys talking. Um, you were reacting to Muslim women who were talking about their experiences with polygamy. 
Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and the the women who were were talking were were kind of. I kind of felt for them because they they looked a bit fed up with it and they looked a bit mm. like they're saying mm. it ain't the the feeling I want of yeah. a man who wants more than one woman. Mm. They, they clearly weren't loving it. And yeah. if, if I'm right, and I, I don't want to quote you because you probably said it in a more articulate way than I would have. You kind of said that's Islam, you know, like a little mm. bit like you know if you if you want to be mm. uh, a part of this religion, this is what yeah. we accept, and mm. it, it's not necessarily there to make you feel great all the time. Yeah, is that right? Yes, uh, I, there is. There is truth in that. So, mm. for in the sense that, look, I mean, there's a difference between someone not wanting to do something in Islamic practice and someone despising it. So, from our perspective, if someone is like, for instance, doesn't want to wake up in the morning and pray, or doesn't want to um, protect the community by fighting the, the the enemy intruder to a country, these are all natural things. A woman does. Most women don't want to be in polygamy. And that's natural. That's fine. Yeah, it's natural. And uh, they're not if, actually. If it's natural, then why do you think mm -hmm. it's ended up the way it is with uh, Islam? The thing is, not every. There's no logical principle that says that if someone likes something, that thing is good. Good you point. See, just see the point. So that, the thing is, is that Islam attempts to solve communities and society's problems, and so polygamy is one of those ways. Which uh, we were talking about single motherhood. Single motherhood can be uh, can be uh, solved at least to some extent, or the sur surplus of women on the market, on the mar marriage market or the sexual marketplace can be uh, removed. In fact, if you even if you think about it from an economic perspective, think of it this way: single motherhood is not just something which impacts families and children and uh, communities. We know that that's hundred percent the case according to almost all the data. Mm -hmm. It's actually something which impacts uh, people's the economy as well because yeah. a single mother costs the economy so much money mm -hmm. uh, welfare benefits and these kind of things that you have to she would otherwise not be being paid because the father would be putting money there. so this polygamy I think uh, or polygyny because it's actually a man to multiple women yeah. if we consider all of the net you can make a utilitarian argument you can say look if you look at the pros and cons and add them all up the family pros and cons the economic pros and cons the social pros and cons the community pros and cons then there's an aggregated or an accumulative pros over the cons, for example. Yeah. So that's that's the argument we're making. We're not, we're not saying that women shouldn't feel negative, jealous, don't want to. In fact, in our religion, if a woman doesn't want to be in it, she can put it in her contract, in her marriage contract, so you're not allowed to do it, and she can stop it. So what I'm saying is that all I'm saying here is uh, there is flexibility, but the, the 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 ruling itself, if someone rejects it, mm. then they have to justify why they're rejecting it because something in the Quran. You can, if you're a yeah. true Muslim, you have to be faithful to the Quran. <clears throat> true, and another thing uh, people miss out is this: that they make it seem as if polygyny is something exclusive to Islam. No, mm, non-Muslims practice polygamy. Yeah. I mean, let me open, be open with you. Was there a moment <clears throat> of time in your life where you wanted multiple uh, women in your life? No, let's be honest. Come on, look me in the eye, please. Don't don't turn around. <laughs> I still do. Actually. Mate, I've, I've, uh, there's been some wild times on YouTube. Let's just leave it at that. Exactly. But, so so the, the point I'm saying is this, though. It's not exclusive to Muslims. Every man, we're talking about men. Yeah. yeah? You're a non Muslim man, I'm a Muslim man. So the thing is, every ma man is polygamous by nature. What Islam does is send protocols to tell you how to do it in a proper way that you don't abuse the other wife. You know why? Because non 
not non-Muslim and some Muslim do this as well. They have side chicks, mistresses and girlfriends. So Islam says no. If you're going to do it, you do it the right way. You want another woman, you honour her. You speak to her father. No, having I'll get whatever I want and I'll chuck you to the side. No, no, no. You marry her, you honour her, you give her a wedding, you provide and protect for her. And I believe any woman in their right mind, if they're a feminist, they will be pro-polygyny okay. all day, every day. One thing that you just said, and I'm not disagreeing, but I do think yeah. it's fun to explore some of these. Please. Is men are polygamous in, 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 in nature. By the nature, yeah. And by that you mean men just want multiple yes, women. Hundred percent. That's that's it. That's that's in our biology, you know. And women are hypergamous by nature. That's in their, that's I, in their I, blood. And also, like you can you can make an argument because um, this equal, this equality premise. First of all, going back to the point, we don't believe that men and women are not equal in value. We just believe that equality in value does not mean identicality in roles. So we believe that men and women are spiritually equal. There. In fact, the Quran actually explicitly mm. mentions that. But I've had I've had conversations like this with women before where I've tried to say like look mm. I'm not saying we're not equal yeah. I'm saying we're different exactly. and our jigsaw pieces are bringing different things to the table 100%. yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm the protector and, and you're the nurturer exactly and that's how I've, I'm old fashioned like that no, for an English guy I don't exactly even think good. that's old fashioned I just look at look at your muscle mass look at the size of you imagine if you're with a five foot one woman are you talking about I, me or? <laughs> no no but I'm saying like if you're walking over in the street uh, if we get burgled I say you go take care of it honey Do I'll be right I think that's a disparity. That's a problem. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that when you consider all of the variables, let me give you a few studies, right? Mm. So one of them is by Baumeister and Cantonese. I think it's the biggest one that's been yeah. done, uh, which is about the um, sexual urges of men and women or sexual desire. Oh, yeah. I've seen you arguing with someone about this. The, the, the hijabi feminist. Yeah, yeah, yeah love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So interesting. No, on the basis, I, I think there is no uh, difference of opinion here from a biological perspective that on as a general rule, yeah. men have more frequent, more sexually... Uh, no you know, comparison. Yeah, it's, it's much more pushy yes. for a man as the frequency and the need for it. So that's from a sexual perspective. Yeah. As you know, from a biological perspective, men have 10 times, on average, the amount of testosterone a woman has. And testosterone does contribute to drive and other things as well, like yeah. aggressivity and so on. We're men, better drivers for sure. Are you right? I mean, there was actually a study... There was, no, there was a study. Yeah. Um, I'm not being controversial here, but there's a study done by a woman called Maguire. And I actually did this in A-level in psychology. Mm. And they, they, what they did was they got these, um, these taxi drivers before they did the knowledge and they, they'd done an MRI scan on all of the brains of men and women. And there's a, a part of the brain called the hippocampus region. Mm. And the, there was an increased gray matter in the hippocampus region for men after more than uh, women after the period of 18 months. Right, so you know what's fascinating is oh. I watched, uh, watched a, a show once about a woman who was going through... Um, the change and she was becoming a, a man yeah. and she started taking testosterone yeah. and she said <laughs> and I, look I'm taking her word for it but she said in the uh, uh, she said my sense of direction has gone through the roof my memory of where things are and driving in places all of a sudden wow. 10 times better wow yeah so, no, but, no but I mean think of the Formula 1 right and once again, I'm not saying that women are better drivers than women. I'm saying that and there are some things that men can mm. do or have proven in driving when there is an equality of opportunity. Because Formula One, there's, no, there's equality of opportunity. It doesn't matter what you are, does it? You can be a man or woman yeah. and you can... But, but look how many oh, women have been in the top five. Yeah. No, no, top ten. We're smashing no, So the reason why that's the case is because there, there are some things... <coughs> reactive ability, mm. uh, strength, physical strength, the ability to deal with uh, trauma, the, the ability to deal with um, uh, emergency situations. I feel like you can, make an, you can make a biological case, a physiological case, psychological case that men, men are better than women or men are better in certain aspects of I it. I think people, and, and that's where you guys, I think, 
do trigger some of these feminists who don't, who, as much as they want equality, what what you're bringing to the table is what, a lot what, of information what, as to why we're not the same. Of course, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's not that we don't mean as much, but we're not the same. Well, the, we say exactly. the, the the biggest inequality is to treat unequal things equally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what we're that's saying. What is that, said, that's, that's what we're saying. No, no, I yeah. said that. Don't give it to <laughs> <laughs> Aristotle. That's why I said. Yeah, don't give it to Aristotle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, all we're just saying is, you know, like you're working as a team, and that's what it is, you know. And they have different needs, and that's the thing. Women, women are hypergamous by their nature. We accept them how they are. They want a man. And that's six foot four. I don't know if he exists. Yeah, we've got one here. Yeah. You know, he's six foot four as well. Yeah. Oh, is he? But the, this okay. is the thing. When you were arguing with that woman, yeah. who um, she uh, was a feminist, but also a Muslim, is that right? He, yeah. Yes. She didn't ascribe to... She had some feministic views, you know. He, uh, yeah. Well, that was the title. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. It made for a good title, like a you know. Bit, yeah. yeah, it worked. And um, yeah. you said, look... <laughs> It did make me laugh, I've got a bit. He said, if you want me to stand in front of you when we're getting attacked by some guy with a yeah, knife, yes. then you better look after me in the bedroom. Well, exactly. You know why? Because this is exactly what we're saying. Because remember I said, the greatest inequality is to treat unequal things equally. So the thing is here, I'm at my most vulnerable when it comes to, and with studies that show, when it comes to intimacy. Now, as Muslim men, we are not allowed to sleep around. Meaning that, we even told, Allah says in the Quran, tell the believing men to lower his gaze. Meaning, if I go out and I see a woman dressed inappropriately or appropriately, I don't care if she's wearing a niqab, hijab, or a bikini, I have to look away. So I am pr- protecting myself from that with the, with the gaze, yeah? So, and then afterwards, I'm going out, working for my, provi- uh, for my, for my family, going out there, come on, man, look at the rent price. You know how much rent price is in London? Come on, bruv. And then you're going through all of that, you're coming home and by the way uh, um, she doesn't if she doesn't want to she, she doesn't have to but what I'm saying is then I will get another wife how about that so then oh no I don't want that well then hold on a second well that's freedom of choice then no, well, no, well that's fine but what I'm saying is that when I, a man I would remove her from my life no okay okay maybe no no maybe keep her but, how but, many the, times is she the, allowed to say no though she might have a headache no 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 no, 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 these, no, 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 no these are valid excuses she was saying she was you know what she was saying she was saying lower your gaze to your wife don't look at her. Um, go masturbate. Um, uh, and I was thinking, well, hold on a second. Let's reverse it. You're, you're, you're on the road. Somebody pulls a knife out. Imagine me saying, I choose not to defend you. I, I don't have to. You will be losing your mind. The feminists will be protesting in, in front of my house. Yeah? You coward. You should. And, 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 so what we're seeing I is... I think when I saw that video, that, that what the response was, well, the stakes are different because, uh, you know, the, the, on the one hand... He's, one, one is, yeah, but they missed the point. The issue is not about stakes here. The issue is about exactly. vulnerability. So let's, <laughs> let's stick with the, the idea. The Islamic model is a complementarity model. It's a model of complementarity. There's some things that men can do that women cannot do and vice versa. And or that men can do better than women and vice versa, right? So uh, the, the whole premise is that if we work against each other, it's going to cause uh, problems in community and society yep. and so on. If we work with each other as a team, you know, uh, which is actually another uh, reading of the, the hadith, which means that you are twins. Men and women are twins. We're meant to work together in complementarity with one another. Then that brings about the best results. So, for example, I give this example. Yeah. I think it's more of an easy one to for Digest. people to understand. Mm. Maybe is um, the example of uh, the firefighters in America. Like, so they had this kind of obstacle course. I think it was in New York, and because of it was equality of opportunity and stuff like that, when women went through the, fire, the, the obstacle course, they didn't complete it as much and therefore there was a major skew in the amount of men and women there are in the, in the fire force. Yeah? So they made the time longer so that more women would be selected as participants. But the point is, is if, if someone was in a burning building Okay, if someone was in a burning building yeah. and uh, uh, now, yeah, now you've reduced 
the time and you've made it less efficient, why should we uh, manipulate the variables in order to try and get a better outcome where there's so-called better outcome, like quality of opportunity, uh, and, and so doing, put children and men, women and children, yeah. ironically, in people, danger. People right? will die. So we're saying that the efficiency marker here yeah. is not really being attended to in a proper way. And I feel like if we really took men and women's um, strengths and weaknesses seriously as a community society, we'd have better results. You debate, you both debated homosexuality and, yeah. and you've talked to a lot of gay people in your videos. Mm. So... Yeah, like what is that? Uh, what does Islam say about that? And and how do you guys view that in the modern day? I think that you know, with homosexuality, obviously, Islam forbids uh, like homosexuality as a practice, not mm -hmm. as a not as a feeling, because no one is. You can say someone is not in control of how they feel in some cases, and we we accept that. So if someone feels in a certain way, then it's forbidden to act upon it in like in a penetrative way. Mm -hmm. If you're a man, or so I have sex with another man, and so on. Now, Islam forbids this. Uh, it doesn't mean that if someone practices it, by the way, they become an ex-Muslim or that they leave Islam or they excommunicate. They're still within the fold. It's, it's just seen as a major sin. There is obviously no, therefore... When no you say major sin, are, are there a number it's of... a hierarchy them? of sins. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So where would that rank? High, very high. Like uh, Ibn Qayyim, one of the scholars of Islam, he says, up there with murder. Something. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's very. But what, what, what about a man cheating on his wife or vice versa? That's that's a major sin as well. Yeah, yeah. So if a man yeah. cheats on his wife, it's a major sin. Like yes. on the same. Is that level. is that on the same level? Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Man, to, both. There, there, are, there are things that in Islam that main people will not consider. Like for example, usury, like interest, getting a loan from the bank. Yes. You know, things like that are seen as major sins on that kind of level as well. So there is a hierarchy that we have going on, which maybe some outsiders when they look at it, they will find it a bit strange. But mm. having said that. The, the argument we put forward about homosexuality is this, is that there's two, there's two major like, ethical pathways in Western ethics, yeah? You have something called utilitarianism and you have something called deontological ethics. Utilitarianism was spearheaded by someone called Jeremy Bentham and then was taken on board by John Stuart Mill and it's being kind of embedded into what is referred to now as social liberalism, yeah? Mm. And the idea is really it's the harm principle, which is that you can do whatever you want so long as you don't harm anybody else. And we're trying to achieve the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So that's one way of looking at morality, yeah? That is the way of John Stuart Mill. And it's pretty much accepted now in Western society. So when I say the liberal ethic is dominant in the West, I'm talking about these notions, that you can do whatever you want so long as you don't harm anyone else. The ontological ethics is spearheaded by someone called Immanuel Kant, and what he says is that, what he says is basically that there are some things which will always be categorically wrong. And uh, if you imagine all of society doing it, uh, and it leads to some kind of impossibility, then that thing is wrong. So for example, he would say lying is always wrong and there's no justification, even if death resulted as a result of it. Lying is always wrong. These are two ways of looking at it. Now, these are the two ways that moral philosophers and ethicists in the West have looked at the world. I'm saying on both ways, homosexuality as a practice, there is aspersion cast on the morality of it. And I'll explain how. If we say from a deontological perspective that the things that if they were conducted by everybody, that the society would not continue or that there'll be an impossibility in, uh, in that sense, i.e. what it was referred to as a categorical imperative. That's why Immanuel Kant said lying is wrong because if everyone did it, we wouldn't be able to function as a society. He said suicide is wrong because if everyone did it, we wouldn't be able to function, there'd be de death. Then by the same token or by the same logic, then homosexuality would be wrong because if everyone did it, okay. then... So that's the deontological route. The more, the more popular route, which is the 
utilitarian route or the, if you like, the liberal route now, which is the greatest good for the greatest, so long as you're not harming anybody else. We would say there's actually aspersion cast, first of all, how do you prove that the harm principle is true? Yeah. As, is there a scientific way that you've come to do, to prove that the harm principle is true? Secondly, uh, if even if we implemented the harm principle on homosexuality, the question would be, uh, could you make an argumentative case that it actually harms more people by way of disease or by way of contraction of this? Or as we know from the NHS that uh, homosexual sex is more likely to spread certain diseases and so on. So could you make a communitarian argument against homosexual practice? We would argue, yes, you can. And even if you argue on the, on the basis of families and so on, we were talking about the stability of certain families. You could, I, I would postulate and I would argue that actually all of the data, almost without exception, has shown that homosexual relationships, man, man, woman, woman, disadvantages the children more than a nuclear family. In, sen in, the, in what sense? In the sense of the child is more likely to, be, uh, to include themselves in delinquency, their educational level is more, uh, less thing, they're more likely to have psychological pathology, and so on. So even on a utilitarian basis, we would say that the traditional family setup is superior to um, the homosexual uh, lifestyle, mm. Uh, on those two grounds, if you're looking at it, even from the Western lens, we're not even saying from the Islamic lens, because all we have to say is that God said so. But we're not going down that route. I'm saying that if you look at it from a utilitarian lens or from a deontological lens, both would point to the same reality. But do you think you're reverse engineering a little bit of this and trying to sort of make it more palatable for, you know, when you're getting challenged on it, a sort of thing? All I'm doing is I'm, I'm using the ethics which are seen as the most superior ethics okay. in the West to show you that even based on those ethics, that you can make an argumentative case against the practice of homosexuality. I've got a question then. Do you, do you guys, and obviously you don't have to out anybody, but do you know any homosexual guys in Islam? Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, yeah. I had, had, had a discussion with one. He came really? to the park, and I was very, it was very profound, because he came and said, um, I have these tendencies, <clears throat> um, but I don't act on them. Um, and he actually blew me away. I was like, wow. Like, he was like, I just use this to... Because he was like, I know that obviously I can't get married. Because in Islam, a man and a man's marriage is, marriage is invalid. So he was like, I would use this time to get closer to God Almighty. And I thought to myself, uh, it's an interesting way to deal with it. Because, uh, you know, Allah says in the Quran, have you seen the one who takes his desires as his own God? This, this is very interesting. Because the thing is... Uh, God, so he's not going to have any partner, not a no, woman, he's, not a man. No, he's not. So the, this is what he said, by the uh -huh. way. Yeah? And he said, I would use this opportunity because uh, when you get married, as he said to me, as a, as a you know, your wife, you're going to be dealing with that and you're not going to have time for God. I will be having all this time for God. And I thought to myself, that's interesting because the whole point we're here is to have a relationship with God Almighty. Obviously, we are allowed to get married. He's not. I understand that. But the fact that he's, the fact that he's sacrificing mm -hmm. that desire for God Almighty, that is the sole purpose we're here. Isn't that what nuns do? Um, Kind of, but in that aspect, context. in that aspect, yes, they're, they're absent completely. Okay, depends that, on the domination, by the way. Like, um, like Anglicans, they don't, they don't do that no more. Yeah, exactly. So the thing is, I wonder what, how many um, Muslim people or men rather yeah. are hiding in wedding in, in marriage. It can, it can uh, be, but you know what's really interesting? Yeah, this just to rewind to mm. you know, what I said to you, I used to go clubbing, partying, etc. I think this is where the, the discussion will be very interesting. Yeah, why? Because I used to live this lifestyle. It didn't bring me happiness. 
Mm-hmm. And I believe a lot of people that live this what lifestyle. What lifestyle are you talking about? Like, I think I, people I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, that, clubbing, no. partying, all this kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. so the thing is. I really uh, wish we could have like a cut in the edit right now yeah. and just have him like glow stick. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, that lifestyle, I realize it does not bring me happiness and it will never bring me happiness because the way God Almighty has created us is that Allah says in the Quran, you wouldn't. You will only find happiness in his in the remembrance of God Almighty. Okay. And if you forget his remembrance, you live a depressed life. Meaning what? You we are all we all want some kind of a purpose. And then what happens is the way we are created, we have something called the fitra, our innate disposition. We are created as if like imagine somebody programmed a robot to only find not that robot can feel anything, but uh, with a specific thing by giving I don't know argument say giving it a hat just, just that's its most happiness uh, when it's most happy the thing is here is that anything that I chased I was never happy anything I used to do bodybuilding I used to go boxing I used to do all this kind of stuff the look of it. and there was always <laughs> you, don't to, you don't have to take my shirt off I don't want to embarrass you, you know? <laughs> so the thing is here is that I realised that it doesn't bring me happiness well, I wanna, I've got a question on my life based on what you're saying mm-hmm. please so I drink a lot, yeah. especially in the last seven days, yeah. and I smoke weed, and, and yeah. you know, and I've certainly uh, I've not um, mm. not exactly been the most strict guy with myself, yeah. and and it doesn't bring me happiness necessarily. Although in that moment, it yes. certainly feels all right. But you yes. know, the hangover and whatever else. Yes. You guys have obviously avoided that, or at least you you have yeah. for a long time, and you have yeah. recently. Yeah. But you know when life gets a bit too much and, and, yeah. and you know you need a vice or and, and sometimes co- co- our consciousness just yeah. needs an escape. Yes. How do you combat that? What do you do? We, we escape the God. That's what we do. We, we escape. The, the, the thing here is this. Alcohol, um, weed, women, mm. men, opposite gender, nothing is going to make you happy, period. Except, because what I'm saying is, the way we are programmed, look, you, we all eat food. Okay, you're not going to go and drink something that's poisonous. You're not going to go and have bad food. You know why? Because your stomach will reject it and you will vomit it. Mm-hmm. This is a physical law God Almighty has put in place that when you eat something which is not good for you and your body, the stomach automatically takes it out. Mm-hmm. The soul is the same way. The soul wants the remembrance of God. And I'll come to what that means. When you give it, girls, like this is what I used to do. Okay, have girlfriends, not happy. Cars, not happy. Money, not happy. Holidays, not happy. And I was thinking, what does it want? The soul wants the soul, soul food, you know, literal food, which is what? The remembrance of its Lord. That's where it's connected. That's where it's at home, truly. And if you look into the Quran, God Almighty always says that you will return back to me. Let me ask you a question. Where are you most comfortable in your life? For example, um, is this, by the way, do you live here? Just, yeah. Uh, you live here. Okay. This is your house. Yeah. You know, like they say, sweet home, home, sweet home. Yeah. The house is the place where you're most comfortable. You can walk naked. Literally, it's your, it's your space. You can do whatever you I've like. I've sat in that chair naked before. Thanks for telling I'm me that. <laughs> we'll have to... Uh, <laughs> I have I have yeah, yeah. I promise. Yeah. So the thing is here, at home you are the most comfortable, yeah? Now, God Almighty, for us, is our most comfort is when we return back to Him. That is where our comfort... That's why when we come to this life and we're like, why do some things go smooth? Mm. Why is things not perfect? Because you are not home. You are not home. So what we're seeing is that when you realize, and I came to that realization, I thought to myself, I'm chasing this lifestyle. And I used to, I always give this example. I used to go clubbing and I used to wear a specific jumper that I believe I looked really handsome in. Like I believe that, <laughs> I you know. That. You know <laughs> I yeah? love how so, we got so, into this. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, I, I used to wear specific clothes, work extra hours to live a certain lifestyle. I came to the realization, I thought to myself, before I came to Islam, I thought to myself, these are my masters. That jumper that I hate wearing, but I wear it because I look good in it, just as a woman who wears these this much heels, even though she's uncomfortable and her, uh, her feet, her heels are bleeding, she still does it. Why? Because I look good in it. So I thought to myself, please, 
Sorry, I interrupt you. I, I watched one of your videos about Kim Kardashian, and yes. you were kind of talking about Literally. about the way she presents herself and yes. how how misguided she is. Well, she's willing to eat poo just to look young. <laughs> and I mean, if that's not enslavement, what, I don't know what enslavement is. So the point I'm trying to say is this, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that we are bound to be enslaved to stuff, yeah? And another a philosopher, I forgot his name, I got the reference here, Maybe. like Google, um, man is born free, but in shackles Rousseau. everywhere. Is it the same guy, yeah? Rousseau. I need to remember that. Yeah, Rousseau. man is born free, but in shackles everywhere. Exactly. Did you choose your name? Did you choose your parents? Did you choose your sister? Did you choose the, uh, if you have a sister, I don't know. Did you choose the way you look? No, you didn't. So nobody can come and say we're free, we are not. We are shackled somewhere. Now, what does Allah say in the Quran? He says, have you seen the one who has one master and multiple masters? Would you rather be enslaved to multiple things or one thing that is deserving of your worship? To me, I came to the realization and said, hold on a second. If God Almighty exists, which I believe he does, and I found it through Islam and Islam to be the truth, I would rather be enslaved to him rather than being enslaved to my jumper, to the opposite gender, to the money, to live in a lifestyle that is fake. And I, I found my true freedom when I enslaved myself to the one who created me. Because I believe he's deserving of worship and I believe he created me. When I die, all your friends that you have, me and back then, yeah, best believe, how long are they going to cry for? I bet you they're not going to cry for one day. They're going to forget you. They're going to back by you. They're going to talk ill of you. Yeah? And I came to a realization that I have to prove myself to nobody but God. And I, I swear to God, when I accepted Islam, it's as if a mountain went off my shoulder. You know why? Because I didn't care about who thinks what of me. Oh, what car do you drive? Brother, I drive Toyota Prius. Yes. I do, <laughs> not, oh, uh, I'm shy if somebody sees me. Oh, I need to wear branded. I don't care. And this is where true happiness is found. This is what I believe when I talked about the soul. Your soul wants the remembrance of God. And what do we do? We give it alcohol, weed, opposite gender, whatever it may be. And then the, the soul is saying, I don't want it. I reject it. I reject it. I reject it. And the moment you give it the correct food, it embraces it. And that's where you find happiness. That's where I realize, I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. I know my purpose. And I know where I want to be. And if you don't have that in your life, it's, it's like the wind. On a, on a windy day, you're like a leaf. Wherever the wind takes you, you just end up there. I kind of feel like we should just like almost finish it there. Mm -hmm. Because the way we started was kind of Muhammad saying a very similar thing about mm. how do you know where you're going and all of these questions that you have. And, and you've come at it from a very similar angle. I do want to ask you one final question and you can answer together individually because it's how I like to end all my podcasts. How would you like to be remembered? Start with you, bro. Man, I will start with you, bro. <laughs> Take your time because we can edit this bit out. Yeah. Okay, no. I, I, I want you to think I about actually it. think about this quite a lot, I'll be honest with you. Mm. Because there, there, is a, there is a prophetic saying where the Prophet Muhammad said, that all of the, the deeds of human being is cut except for three things. A child who is a righteous child that will make supplication for them. A continual charity. A beneficial knowledge that people will benefit from. Now, what I want to do before I die is I want to have something left behind for the people that they will benefit from. It's not about how I want to be remembered. It's about what I'm going to leave behind will be use, useful. There's a beautiful verse in the Quran, yeah? It's in chapter 13 in Surah Ra'd, which it goes like, the, the part of the verse is like this. As for the foam of the sea, it just evaporates. As for that which benefits the people, it stays on the earth. Like if you think about all the inventions of humankind, 
necessity is the mother of all invention. Most of the inventions that we're using now have actually been created or invented in the war period because you need to have like a phone, you need to have mm. this, you need to have that. So these things, because people were just, they were obsessed with creating things of use. I actually heard Kanye West saying this in a recent interview. He was saying, I don't want to be remembered. He was asked the same question. He goes, I don't want to be remembered. The person who, who done the, pay, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the lamppost was not remembered. The, this one, that one wasn't, wasn't remembered. But what they have in place is used. So for me, it's not necessarily about me being remembered as much as it is leaving something of use for people to use. Because in my opinion, when I'm dead, three things will continue. My, my progeny, we talked about propagating your genes and your progeny. So I want to teach my children so that they can continually pray for me and remember me and so on. Number two is a continual charity, which means it's not a charity that ceases. So for example, a water well or, or a school or something like that. Something that when I'm dead, because a statue is not going to speak. Do you know what I'm trying to say? People want to be remembered in the form of a statue or something like that. No, a statue is not going to speak, but a, 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 a school is going to produce people who are going to speak. Mm. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So I want to have something like that, continual, that I started this up. You know what I'm trying to say? And I continually get in the reward for that after I'm dead. And thirdly, and I would say most importantly, I want to have something that I've left behind that people will continually use, say, reference, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years after my Someone's death. going to be caught in you one day, mate. <laughs> Have you got an answer bro? Yeah, my, myself personally, I believe personally, it's um, this concept of um, people remembering you. Um, people are not going to remember you. And even if they did, I don't want it. Because the thing is, one thing that I found really beautiful in Islam was loving for the sake of Allah. Now, what does this mean? I, I couldn't get my mind around it. I was like, what does that mean, loving for the sake of God? Can I not just love someone because I love them? And then I realized to myself how selfish human beings are. The moment whoever your relationship is with, yeah, there is terms and conditions. You like it or not. I like this person because of da 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 da. Because they might offer me something, I benefit of them, etc. So like, for example, a lot of people when it comes to like, they say, oh, clout chasing, etc. He contacted me and he said, true Jordy wants to on the podcast. And I said to him, you know what, bro? You're the great, you're the guy for the job. Go ahead. Why? Islam taught me this. You know why? It wasn't, oh, true Jordan's podcast. Oh, I can get more clout. Bro, like, like even today I came late. You know why? Not that I couldn't be bothered. I, like, I, wouldn't, I really wanted to meet you, but I didn't need to be on camera. I don't need the clout. The thing is, the reason I'm saying this is because when you love someone for the sake of God, what that means is, for example, if I lend hijab, let's say 5,000 pounds, and, I, and I'm there for him all the time. One day he turns around and he spits me in, spits, spits in my face. Me and your dad will do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so imagine, yeah, and then you've done all of that. Now deep inside, I'll be like, and this is what Islam tells you not to do. Oh, but I did this for him, but I did that for him. I did all of that for the sake of God. Even if you come, and even if yeah. you come and like slap me, whatever it may be, you know what I'll say? I would do the same thing again knowing if you did this today because I didn't do it for your pleasure. I did it for the pleasure of God Almighty. So what that means is my reward is with him. But the moment you reduce it to, oh, but I did that to you, I gave you that money, da -da, I don't need none of that. The last seven days of my life, been a quite a lot of those feelings about people around me of feeling a bit exactly. left, left down and people who you want to be there for you yes. in your time of need. You see it. But who was there? I, you yeah, make sorry. a great point there. Yeah, the thing is, Allah says in the Quran, we send the smaller calamity to divert a bigger calamity. The mm. bigger calamity is that we believe there is 
judgment day, there is hellfire, there is heaven, and the God that we worship is not a God that wants to throw people but in hellfire. But in this sense, yes. that this, this scenario that I'm yes. going through is revealing who's really loyal. Exactly. But is it a calamity? Yes, it is. But it might be a calamity but that might change your... people who don't have my back. Exactly. But <laughs> what, what does that show you? It shows you again that nobody is there for you truly except the one who created you. I think you're both coming from the same place and I really respect that. And Which is Islam. <laughs> but, but also being selfless exactly, and giving. Yes. And, uh, and I think that's something that we can all connect on because for me personally, while I'm not a, a spiritual guy in that sense, at least yet, uh, mental health is my thing and that's what my uh, yeah. what I want to help and leave yeah, behind. Beautiful. Um, and yeah, fun. I really enjoyed this, guys. Thank Honestly, you. thanks for your time. It's a pleasure. Uh, we will be putting the links to both of these guys' channels in the description below. I've got no doubt, especially because some of the content we've described uh, that's on your channels, they're going to want to check you guys out. So do check them both out. Subscribe to them both. Go and check them out. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Cheers. Thank you. Well done, guys. Well, Loved it. Thank you very much, bro. That was such a fascinating chat, was honestly.